Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast, off-season edition. This is, uh, well, technically it's our second yeah, podcast Yeah, I was like, off-season. we've already done an off-season one, Felix. Come on, come on. Yes, but there were still Ducks games that week. So true. I'm going to say that this is the first one post any kind of Ducks hockey, although we did have a bunch of press conferences, comments to get into mm-hmm. this week. And uh, let's just say that Dallas Akins, the players, making some interesting comments, which uh, I don't know how much they speak to like self-awareness or the state of this franchise or I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's it, interesting. It, it's definitely interesting. And I mean, we also had the playoffs start this weekend yep. and you and I record are recording this. It's obviously 8 p.m. on Sunday yep. and the Panthers lightning game had just ended. And oh, boy. Yeah, that was one of the best games I think I've watched all season. Now, granted, most of the games you and I have watched have been Ducks games, which uh, <laughs> let's just awful. say are not even close to played at that pace and uh, uncompetitive. I'm just going to say that game uh, that game might uh, or this series might be the best series of the entire playoffs. Yeah, that was one of the best hockey games I've ever watched, like just period. That was yeah. really good. I mean, it had everything. It had uh, physicality. It had a bunch of skill, a bunch of speed odd man rushes it had controversial officiating it just had everything you would want in a playoff game but not you know not not too much extracurricular to where it took away from the the actual action well, itself and also fans like there were almost I, ten thousand fans I was in that say, arena it felt like with the atmosphere in the building with the on ice product with everything like that that felt like the first playoff game i've watched in two years yeah, and it, I, it really yeah. it really showed the difference between the bubble last season, which granted, no knock on the NHL. They did a fantastic job with that well, bubble. That, that, that the was the, well, but that was the right thing for them to do also. But it's just a completely different atmosphere, completely different setup. And it was it was a blast of a game to watch. And I'm so excited for that series, man. If you're the if your other rival club is in the NHL or teams or, or just a fan that doesn't like the lightning seeing Nikita Kucherov take the season off and then put up three points in his first game back must just have you kicking and screaming about how this isn't fair because he looked fresh out there and he looked he, dangerous. He did. I mean, this series is going to be great. Huberto and Barkov versus Stamkos and uh, Kucherov. It- great in point. I mean, just go down the list. And I think what's so fun about and sorry, folks, we're, we are going to get to the Ducks, I promise. But yeah. if you watch this game or if you've watched the highlights by, by now, if you're listening you know just how great of a game this was. I, what I noticed from both these teams is just how good they are at getting shots from the slot, at how good they are at generating rushes. And They both were very much playing the transition style of game. And, and, and very, very active D. I mean, that's how they sco- yeah. I mean, that's how the Lightning scored the game winner is because Braden Point just flew the zone I, as soon as they got a turnover. I felt like basically anytime Montour was on the ice, there was going to be basically two different, uh, an odd man rush going either direction every <laughs> single time. Yeah. And it was a blast to watch. Yeah. Brandon Montour getting two grade A scoring chances in this game and looking all right. I mean, we were talking about it before we started recording, but I still think that was a great trade for the Ducks because in hindsight, getting a first round pick for Brandon Montour, especially if you look at like the trade market this year is kind of incredible. But he is right now like in probably the best possible role. He's a, he's a defenseman in an offensive system. They want him to kind of play into his strengths and join the rush. He's not being looked at to be like a true top four guy. And so I think it's great. Great for him. That team is fun to watch. I really 
dearly wish that they were wearing their reverse retros. Oh, it'd be so, their... it was so much better. <laughs> I mean, to be to be to be fair though, their their homes aren't terrible. They're just boring. Like they're just no, they're, they're not the most exciting. They're bad. The new the crest is not as good. Everything's bad about those jerseys. They should be wearing those reverse retros. But regardless, so. Enough about that, though. You want well, to just I, I just want to quickly out on the jersey note. It's funny for both of these teams. If they were wearing their reverse retros, their older jerseys, it'd be more fun because both these teams have boring versions of what they used to have. So anyway, and, and you know that same thing would apply to the Ducks. So yeah, well, it's let, a trend. It's a trend in the entire league. Teams yeah. go more boring over time. But yeah, yeah let's uh, let's get into the Ducks though. Since we are a Ducks show, we gotta we gotta put on that that act, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the Ducks had their exit interviews this week, and you know a lot of it was just kind of what you would expect. Players talking about how this was a difficult year, about what they need to improve on. So not a lot of stuff to truly dive into there. But there were some notable quotes from Dallas Akins in his his exit interview, and. I mean, there's a, I would say there's about three that really stood out. And I think the one to me that stood out the most is his comment about how the Ducks were in 29 one goal games. And when he said 29 one goal games in the interview, he said it again for emphasis. And he just couldn't get over the fact that they were in 29 one goal games. And he talked about how those could have gone so much differently and that could have made a difference in the season. And it's just like, Yes, the Ducks were in close games, but do you take that as a sign that this was a season that could have gone differently or a sign of a of a competitive team? W- what did you make of that comment? I mean, here's the thing. They were in that many one-goal games, and they still had a negative 53-goal differential. Like, I, I don't really know what you're trying to get at there. I guess the, the comment is basically we could have gone to all these. Well, it's we, also we, trying we, to we, show we, that they were competitive. We I could think. have had these games go to overtime, or we did have these games go to overtime, and maybe we swap them. Swap them. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of what you see. I mean, the Ducks had a lot of games go to overtime this year, and they were kind of iffy. The Ducks, like, I don't – maybe this is kind of bold oh, or anything and, like and, that. And this is another part of the quote that I should mention. He said, yeah. he said that tells me at least we're close. This team Ooh. had 11 regulation wins this season. Yeah, I mean... Like, like let, let's let not beat around the bush here. Let's not do any of that. Let, let, like, I, I really do believe that you should be looking at regulation wins, especially when you're looking at a team like this and trying to evaluate where they're at, where they're going, everything like that. Because at the end of the day, the game is played on 5-on-5. Five five. The game in the playoffs, this game that we watched today, the Panthers-Lightning game was played at 5-on-5. Five five. When it goes to overtime... Well, except if you're the Lightning and your power play is a cheat code. Or you go, there's all the penalties, you can go four on four. But regardless, yeah. <laughs> over time, everything is five on five when, mm-hmm. in terms of this. So you want to be winning games of regulation. Three on three, the shootout, they're both skills competitions. I Like, that is my view of it. They are skills competitions. They do not accurately reflect actual on-ice five-on-five game that results in wins in the playoffs. So a good determining factor when you're trying to look at a team is actually looking at their regulation wins, and the Ducks had 11. The Ducks had 11 regulation wins over their 56 games. And I actually, I didn't even mean to even talk about this right now, but one thing I I kind of noticed this week, and I was curious when I was looking at it, was that's by far the worst season in Ducks history. And it's not even close. And so if you look at something like points percentage, this year is slightly the worst season in franchise history with them getting a 384 points percentage versus 385 in the 94-95 lockout shortened season also where they only played 48 games. But if you recall in 94-95, there was no overtime at all. It was purely ties. 
So if you were about going to get wins, it had to be a regulation win. And that Ducks team got 16 regulation wins. And so if you're purely purely trying to look at like winning percentage and regulation winning percentage, that team had like, it was like a 30, 33% regulation winning percentage. This Ducks team this season had a 19.6% win percentage. Like, I don't get how you can find anything like that and say, well, we were in all these one goal games. You won 19% of your games in regulation. Yeah. You were in these one goal games because you had, you basically held on and got games to overtime. Like, like that's not something to be proud of. Like overtime, like the loser point has kind of instilled this. And I think that it would even, I think that this is a prime example of where the three, two, one point system would be kind of important, but that's not really here nor there. Basically at the end of the day, this ducks team was bad trying to add any qualifier, well, qual- qualifier also, like that, I think kind of dismisses actually how bad they were. Well, also I think it would be important for us to evaluate that comment is 29 a lot for most like, you know, yeah. is that, is that a noteworthy number? Like, is that above or below average? You know, like we don't even really know any context. It sounds like a lot. There were 56 games, but I don't know. It's just, um, I, you know, the number to me isn't quite as, as much of the issue there as much as the sentiment that we are close and that, you know, that, that, that things could have easily gone a different way. It's just anyone who watched this team this season, probably well, and, and with a critical eye, you know, that's, that's not watching with orange tinted lenses could tell you that they were, they were in one goal games, despite of the way that they were playing. You know, this wasn't like, because they were really pushing the issue, maybe a little bit, a little bit more towards the end and in pockets throughout the season, but it wasn't because they were this, kind of hard-nosed team that was difficult to play against i think here's kind of getting to to the core of the issue with that quote is it lacks the understanding of what the actual problem is that it it lacks the the thought process of of actually identifying an issue with the roster instead it's searching for something to say well there was this and, and we had this and so we weren't actually as bad as we said as compared to actually looking at what the issue was and says saying well we were in these one goal games but we still lost all of these. We still weren't scoring. We we were struggling to score goals. We were one of the worst teams in generating expected goals for this season. We we really need to work on our game in transition. We were one of the worst transition offense teams in the league. If you look at some of the manually tracked data from Corey Schneider, I think the only team that was worse in transition was the Detroit Red Wings this year. And so the I think the core of the, my issue with that quote is it's kind of a very similar thing as to what we've been fed from Bob Murray and the franchise as a whole for the last couple of seasons, which is next season will be better. Next season will be better with no actual action. And it's just kind of basing it off of this hope of various different things that are really unfounded and it lacks actual perspective. It lacks actual, um, looking at yourself, looking at yourself from the inside, trying to identify the problem introspection, I think is the word I was looking for there to actually identify what your issue is. And I think that that's kind of my issue with that quote is that it's, it's just, it doesn't explain anything. I mean, one thing thing to be perfectly clear about is that if you're going into these exit interviews as a listener, watching them and, you know, your expectation is that you're going to get like perfect candor and that you're, you're not, you're actually going to have coaches or especially coaches. Cause I think players are, are better about this, but just like owning up to maybe their, their, well, their lack of performance. It's, it's not quite as common as you would think. I'm not saying that that doesn't dismiss it, but I'm not expecting Dallas Aikens to come in there and maybe be 100% truthful. I am somewhat expecting the company line to be towed. It's, yes, it's not agreed. 
and I think, and I think also as a coach and as players, part of your mentality is you skew towards looking at the positive. You skew towards where's the opportunity, and that's just how these guys are wired. And so, again, look, you know, in a in a kind of reflective interview, looking for kind of maybe the silver lining. That's not crazy either, but I still, yeah. but I, but I'm not saying this at all to invalidate what you're saying because I think what you're saying is still probably true. It's just I think we need just a little perspective on like what to expect. Yeah, from, from and these interviews. Yeah, and I think specifically when it comes to players, I'm actually way more willing to be easy on the players as a whole because at the end of the day, this is their job, this is their livelihood. And so they're like Ricard Raquel had a quote that was basically like, I want to be a duck. I think that we're going to be better next year. We showed signs, all these different things. And it's like, of course, a player's going to say that. Well, I, well, I, also, I, like and, a, a player, like that's what you would want them to say. Like if well, they're in a situation, you want them to believe that things can be turned around because well, that, that is their job is yeah. to go out there and win. Yeah, and I think you also understand where they're coming from because they're trying to keep their job. They don't want to. But doesn't be, that be, same logic apply to coaches, though? Yeah, no, I I think it does, but I think it applies. I think it applies more so to players than it does coaches because I think the coaches have more responsibility on everything, their fingers and everything. Well, coaches have more more power. Exactly, and same thing, even with more so with uh, with general managers. And so, but let's get into the couple of other quotes here just to kind of briefly break them down. Because I also there was also another one that stood out to me, which I don't think you have in your list here, but. He, because you know, Akins was asked about his own coaching performance, and he mm-hmm. said he actually talked about how just as it was for the players, it was a roller coaster ride for him as well. He mentioned that there was a lot of negativity towards like the twelve game mark with the yeah. team, and that he wished that he would have managed that neg- that negativity earlier in the season. And you know, he it wasn't for long stretches, but he he thinks there were a couple of instances where. He really wishes he had managed it better, which I found kind of interesting because that does line up a little bit with when Adam Henrique was yep. put on waivers. And uh-huh. so 100%. I just wonder what happened there. I mean, we can only speculate, but um, yeah, I it, mean, it, especially if you listen to the interview, he kind of goes into a little bit more depth than kind of the the quotes within Eric Stevens article has uh, about that specific 12 game mark and how that really led to a lot of negativity that really lasted a couple of weeks. And that kind of lines up with Adam Henrique getting scratch, getting scratched, getting waived, and then kind of being put on the taxi squad after clearing waivers for about a week or two. And it really kind of lines up perfectly with that. Now that the granted, like you said, Purely speculation, no actual confirmation on that, but it lines up perfectly with it. So I mean, yeah. it, it's kind of like when there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, it doesn't do anything to dispel the idea that there was maybe not the best harmony in that locker room by the time Adam Henrique was waived, and maybe that's part of why he was waived. Um, I do kind of find it interesting though that that's like the one thing that he really harped on, and not anything kind of X's and O's related, anything tactical. And I wouldn't necessarily expect him to do that but still interesting that that is where he went to as opposed to anything else really yeah and and kind of one quote that i find that i really want to talk about here that kind of goes into i think a miss on his part that leads to the negativity honestly Mm -hmm. is the quote by him that says i think it and with specifically addressing the fact that the team put out there that their goal this season was to make the playoffs Mm -hmm. their goal is to be competitive and fight for that final playoff spot and the quote was, I think uh, that us having a lofty goal and missing it's better than shooting low and hitting it. But now that it's all over, I think it's really easy to look back and go, hey, maybe we shouldn't have said that. That's got to be your goal. Every year you come in, your goal should be to win no matter what. 
And and here's my issue with that quote. I get the message he's trying to put across that you don't want to be content with uh, mediocrity. You don't want to be mm. content with being bad. Yeah. But I think setting up an expectation that's too high does a disservice to your fans. It does a disservice to your players. And it really sets them up to fail. Well, it's because kind of, it, it's kind of dishonest. Yes. And, and so even if like, this isn't me saying like saying you set your goal to be like not finishing last. You what you should be doing here is not is setting up your goal to say, hey, we're going to go into every game. We're going to compete and make it hard on the other team. We are not going to win every game, but we're going to make it hard for the other team to at least get two points. And we'll see where that ends up taking us. And that type of approach not only is more honest with your players and more honest with your fan base. It sets up your players to not be as negative when you lose games, allows them to be looser that the pressure isn't on them, allows them to go out there and just have fun and play hockey and, and do what they're known to do. And by setting up a proper expectation, and it's not necessarily setting the bar too low, it's setting it where it should be set. You are setting your players up to succeed and not fail. By putting it too high, you have the situation that the Ducks had had this year, which is basically every single time the Ducks got just absolutely trounced. It was like, this was a team that was supposed to make the playoffs. This is a team that was supposed to do su- such and such and such, such by, yeah, and every fan, pe- by, by the fan are, base. People are harder on them as a result. Yeah, well, and, and, also, and so... I think part of his logic didn't really make sense, though, because he was like, well, you know, we didn't get to go to the bubble. We didn't have any kind of play-in. We only had ourselves to compare to. And so maybe that was why the bar was set too high, because we that we didn't really have a measuring stick. It's like, come on. You know, the previous season didn't happen. You didn't yeah. watch the bubble. Like, you're really telling but, me that, that you were that that's why like, <laughs> like you want to set your team up for success. And like, look at, for instance, I, I know from listening to various different podcasts, I haven't watched them too much, but the senators, the senators had a really rough start to the year, but finished out really strong and playing really good hockey and everything like that. No one in that organization said our goal is to make the playoffs in this division. They knew they were going to be lower, but their goal was to basically go out. And I think that DJ King's quote was essentially, we want to go out and make it hard on the other teams and make it not a fun job to play against us or fun time to play against us. And that sets up your players to be in a better position. You're not putting them in this tough spot. I mean, Dallas Akins at the beginning of the season had quotes where he basically said, our goal isn't to just get players out there to get playing time. We need to be playing people to win games. And all this does is, is essentially like uh, put your team in a bad spot. I mean, I guess your Cubians chiming in our Twitch chat saying Melnick, uh, Dorian promised a cup in the next three to five years for Ottawa. Yeah. And granted I, that I, I think you might be a little underselling Ottawa, but maybe. I just, I just want to say that I, I think, look, Dallas Higgins isn't the one picking the organizational uh, direction. Right? No, he's, he's not. So like this is a more of a Murray issue. And yes, 100 percent. And ultimately, um, if you're the general manager and that's what you're telling your coach, that's then what he tells the players. And consequently, what you get is the kind of roster construction we saw this season, which which is a lot of favoring kind of safe, you know, quote unquote, safe, experienced players over giving a younger guy more time or letting him work through mistakes. And we saw that that approach just like fundamentally didn't work to start the year. And so. Yeah, it's a top-down issue for sure, and and, 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 it, and it wasn't I mean, really well executed by anyone involved. And I think the other thing is, like I said, this is the worst season of franchise history. There needs to be some speculate or some some introspection about what went wrong. What that the clearly the approach that they had to start the year did not work um, because they were the worst team. They were the second worst team in the league. Yeah, but Jake, how how could they have known? They didn't they didn't get to play in the bubble. Yeah. They could have not known but, that they would be this in, bad. Can we also just briefly talk about the injury narrative and how I just find that such a, 
it's such a crutch because every team deals with injuries in I mean, this league. I mean, look at the Lightning. Look, I mean, look at look at the Pittsburgh Penguins playing today without of Genny Malkin. Every yep. team deals with injuries. Every team does. And so to to say, and Dallas Hakins had a quote like this where he's like, basically, we we only had Hampus Lindholm for we a certain amount of games. We uh, only had two games with Fowler, Lindholm, and Manson all playing. And it's like, sure. You can t- say that, but every team has injuries. This yeah, isn't and, this and, isn't something exclusive to the Ducks. Yeah, and also like saying that doesn't really like put him in the best light because even if that is true, it's like oh, so you're basically saying that you <laughs> you couldn't lift, you couldn't like, yeah help your team work through that, or you, you weren't able to outcoach that essentially because that's kind of how a lot of Jack Adams Coach of the Year campaigns are born is like you have a, a team that's facing injuries or that has low expectations that surpasses yeah. them. So if anything, that kind of sets you up if you're a coach and and he kind of instead defaulted to to more of how this was a crutch. And look, I mean, like I said, the this press conference was really nothing too surprising. Nothing, no. nothing that really stood out. A lot of the familiar tropes. And I mean, really what it said to me is that this all these guys are coming back next year. I mean, yeah. Aikens is back. Murray is back. They all sound very secure in their jobs. And, um, Do you, have you listened? Speaking of that, have you listened to 31 thoughts, the 31 thoughts podcast yet that came? I think it was on Friday. No, I haven't. So I listened to the first bit of it and they mentioned the ducks a little bit. First mm-hmm. off with, um, specific to they they could be in on Jack Eichel, which is something we'll probably discuss in another episode go- coming forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to get into that really in this episode. We debated it on our Patreon show. We did. But, <laughs> um, but the other thing they're like, I, they're curious because basically they're like, it's really quiet from Anaheim. And yeah. not saying that means something's happening, but we also haven't gotten the no one's being fired or no one's being let go. There's no changes coming. And so they're like, it. it I would keep an eye on it. They're like, I'm not sure if anything will happen. Yeah. I, but we haven't gotten that all clear. Yeah. I am just defaulting to yeah. quiet, tight lipped organization. Would not expect any kind of. And I'm True. sure that the Ducks are pissed at Friedman after this season because don't forget, he put out the Terry rumor and he put out that Delorier was being traded and he That's didn't true. get traded. So That's true. it might just be a breakdown there. Although, to be fair, uh, Friedman doesn't it's not like he's directly asking the ducks. He's probably got sources, but yeah, I'm sure that there's a a little bit of a breakdown there, but Hey, if look, if we're to read that the other way, that would be surprising. That would not be what I would expect. So we'll see. Yeah. And the, the other quote that really stuck out to me was Dallas Aiken saying we have a far different on ice product now than we did at the end of last year and said, even a far different on ice product now than we had at the start of the year. At at the end of last year, I think that that's a little more fair because yes, like Trevor Zegras at center, compared to the end of last season that is yes. hugely different. Yes. Uh, Jamie Drysdale back there, those are those are definitely significant differences. So, but, I I think the global perspective of the way they've played though, this past season versus last year, I'd argue they took a step back. In, oh, they and, did. And so I think that's kind of my issue with that quote is sure you can say the the composition of the team, adding in Zegers, adding in Drysdale adds that flair. But if you compare this season to last year, I mean, the Ducks were worse in terms of expected goals for percentage. They generated less expected goals for per 60 by a significant amount, 2.32 last season to 2.08 this past season. Um, and then 2.6, they were slightly better at uh, suppressing chances against at 2.61 in the 1920 season to two and a half in the 2021 season. And so yeah. slightly better, but it, it's, they, they were worse. They they were yeah. worse this past year. So 
by by saying that they were uh, they their on ice product was better, which is kind of the, the underlying. I feel message like that's really quote. skewed by like maybe the last two weeks of the season. Yes, and yes. like which, some of those fun LA games, which came mainly against the LA Kings. Well, that's the thing, and then they came completely crashing back down to earth against Minnesota. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, look, I I do think there are some differences. I think you know, even though the the actual aggregate results are largely the same. I think that some players like some young players taking big steps forward this year does make a difference on the on ice product does give you reason for optimism. But yeah, as a whole, that sentiment seems a little optimistic. Yes. And so let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump in briefly to the fact that Dave McNabb. Yeah. Retired. What are your thoughts on that overall? Well, you know, Dave McNabb, first of all, was the, the one who managed the duck salary cap, all the CBA kind of intricacies that we know, we all know Jake loves to, to dive into, to nerd out on. And he's been in the NHL for decades now as a, just as a player personnel, um, just really, really everything. And I, you know, all, all credit to him and, and his career, everything like that. But I think it's probably a good thing for the ducks. I think that, you know, David Nab 65, it's, probably a good thing to maybe get some some younger maybe not younger but just some fresh a fresh set of eyes in the situation get someone who maybe is a little more up to date a little more modern because the ducks have had a lot of kind of snafus over the last couple of years losing guys on waivers like their asset management hasn't been the greatest their contracts haven't been the greatest and look david McNabb is not we don't know what how much influence he had but as such an experienced member of the organization as, as such a respected hockey man who's been around for so long you can assume pretty safely he probably had a significant say in all of this and so i think to see him retire we'll see what the ducks do how they fill that void but i think it may not necessarily be the worst thing in the world i mean he got a lot of love and and rightfully so and people really crediting him for giving them kind of explanations like media members on cpa stuff but i think ultimately it's probably a good thing um just depending on how they replace him yeah i mean definitely i mean he was a guy that that eric stevens had quoted as being their their cap guy their uh their waiver guy i believe that he was kind of in charge of their college free agent and dave McNabb even mentioned that he's like we had a really good stretch there in kind of the the mid to late 2000s but i mean we haven't really done i mean done a whole lot of late and even said that in his thing in his, well he, in his... he, he also said that he thinks that the ducks can be turned around quick yeah, which, yeah I, and, and like the, the rationale was pretty it was pretty spot on to what we've heard the last couple of yeah. years which which makes you believe hey this guy does have a have a, a say. say he said you could flip in and around or hurry i'm not as concerned as a lot of people are i feel like we're i feel targeted in that statement i'm 100%. not as concerned as a lot of people are yeah because i know the character in that locker room is there which you know is laughable on yeah so many levels. i mean here's the thing and i but mean he, he, just, Dave, he, he was just he'll i just want to mention quickly he, he cited health veterans bouncing back and breakout years for youngsters as factors of why they could bounce back and it's like yes if everything goes right which we know it never does then yeah you could turn around quickly i'm sure yeah it's like yeah it's like yeah you know if i get a job that pays me millions tomorrow then yeah i'll be a millionaire in a hurry but (laughs) a lot of things are gonna have to happen so not uh i mean again not surprising that he would be that they're all selling well, optimism he, right that is the company line but it just feels so out of touch with what here's the here's the issue here the 
he is the what was uh his exact position senior uh, vice president of hockey operations senior vice president of hockey operations so you would imagine that he was the right hand man essentially to bob murray he was probably second in command in terms of what uh in terms of say and sway within the ducks organization um and, and so i think that he is uh him being gone is not necessarily a bad thing if you're looking for this Ducks franchise to transition. I think, obviously, he deserves credit for being with the franchise for so long, yep. for, for helping out with things and uh, coming up with the franchise. But I think in the same breath, we probably should look with a critical eye and say if he was the cap guy, if he was the CBA guy, this is the same guy that was uh, within the management role when the Ducks gave up Shea Theodore to get rid of Clayton Stoner. This is the same guy that uh, gave out the contracts that they did, giving out a no-movement clause and managing the the cap with Kevin Bieksa in the way that they did. This is the same person that's uh, decided, I guess, it would, they, the Ducks should be buying out Corey Perry from it for whatever reason uh, and, and, the, and having the residual cap hit. And so you look at a lot of these moves, you look at losing Christian Juice waivers, you look at all these different things, and, and the last couple years have not been kind if that was his role within the Ducks organization. And so I, I think overall, and this is not meant to be that not trying to be super harsh, but I guess it is. But uh, Dave McNabb at the end of the day is a, is a hockey lifer. He he's kind of one of the old hockey men. That's kind of where he came from. He played the game. And, and I think you look at a lot of the top teams in the league, their guy running their cap is typically kind of more of a math type person, more so a lawyer, somewhat maybe a lawyer, someone that really kind of understands the numbers. You want someone more so that's an engineering type brain an accounting type brain, lawyer type brain that kind of really can dive into all of this and understand all of it. And, and that's exactly where well, you want to be came up as a scout. Yeah, like, exactly. That was his big thing. Yeah. Which, and, and the thing is the game that he's been playing with the CBA, like kind of the, his job has only gotten harder. I think as the years have gone on like this, it's only gotten more complicated. You have the expansion drafts this season with the taxi squad. Like there's just, there's been more and more layers added and it feels like as it's gotten more complicated, the Ducks' performance within that has gone down. Yeah. So. Yep. And and at the end of the day, I mean, here's the thing with the flat cap for the next however many years, it's going to be a while. Um, it's going to be, it's going to cause even more maneuvering, and also it's going to mean that cap space it is going to be, um, it's going to be at even more of a premium. And not to dive too much into this, but I kind of just quickly looked at evolving hockey's. Uh, now we're kind of transitioning slightly away from Dave McNabb, but I think it's interesting here. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the big takeaway is that good for him, great career, but ultimately Ducks may be benefit. Yeah, the the Ducks are set with them signing their guys, though. I, I took a look at Evolving Hockey's contract project projections for the upcoming season, and let's just say that all those guys get the exact contracts that cap friend, or that Evolving Hockey has. The Ducks per cap friendly's roster uh, creator, they would have about 9 mil in cap space um, or around 9 mil in cap space. And I think that the Ducks, if they're smart, they should not necessarily be going out and trying to sign a guy with that money or trading for a guy to help this team this year. What they really should be doing is trying to weaponize that cap space. Um, They should be trying to, and the name that came to mind is, they should be trying to get like a Louis Erickson for a first round pick. Louis Erickson has one year left at six mil. Ducks will have nine mil in cap space. Why not? And so those, the reason why I brought this up is the fact that um, it is the fact that if you have someone new that's running your cap that maybe understands how cap sh- cap space should be valued, um, that maybe they would be able to kind of uh, value that and evaluate that and basically help the Ducks get picks, and that's what they need. But 
I doubt they'll do that. Just just a thought that had ran th- run through my head. Yeah, you're you're asking for a lot there. I I 100% am, and I know that. So time for for a break, and then we'll get into our player grades. Yeah, so we're gonna take a break here, but don't go anywhere because we are gonna on the other side of this, we will do a player by player grading system of every Ducks player this year. So it'll be interesting. So, but let's let's uh, let's do the ad read first, though. Do 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 do. Breaking news. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your public service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. Manscaped engineering team or the Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the United States and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are the first to uh, of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free shipping worldwide with the code CTP at manscaped.com. I'm one of the, Felix and I are both two of the very first people to try the new 4.0 and we're both blown away with the performance. The craftsmanship and the detail of the 4.0 are the next level. I mean, Felix, what do you think of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology? Yeah, so that technology, it's so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped work with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure that your testes are as safe as possible. So yeah, that's some that's some high praise, but it's true. It's definitely an upgrade over the 3.0, which we've talked a lot about on the show. Yeah, and what makes this and, and here's what makes this trimmer different than all other trimmers. A new multifunction on and off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. And it also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when uh, needed for a more precise shave. I've talked about the the light on the, the Manscaped 3.0. It helps a lot. It's a lifesaver. It's not always needed. And so it's nice to have the ability to, to turn it on and off. And you can do that. And the new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim if you want to uh, go with different lengths, with different uh, guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. And look-wise, it's very sleek, and the two-tone matte and gloss finish is a nice little look there. Yeah, so, it, it's it's nice. And yeah, you can even cut your hair with it now, with the, the guard lance. So there you go. Yep, and there is, I mean, this is the big thing. There's wireless charging, Felix. Yeah, The Lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help your battery length last longer. So, uh... It, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CTP. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. There you go. Now I want to go shave or trim or do something. I'm just, I'm hyped after that. A- M. Young says Manscaped, the Tesla of trimmers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just so very good. Okay. Let's do, let's do player grades. Are you ready? Let's do it. And should we just give everyone full disclosure on this? Um, well, okay. So this is this is the part I want to disclose first. Grading system. How? What is your approach to grading these players? My approach to grading is grade based upon expectation. Just arbitrary? A, a is exceeding expectation. B, or very, like, extremely exceeding expectation. B is just slightly exceeding expectation. C is at expected D below expectation, F just a complete failure. And let's not do pluses or minuses. I did I did a bunch of pluses. I'm telling minuses. you to remove them from your list. I'm not. I'm not. Re- re- remove them from the <laughs> list, Felix. It's, it's nuance. It adds nuance. Um 
I mean, my grading system is pretty similar. So for both of ours, it's pretty subjective, right? Like we're not going to shy away from that. Like this is purely subjective. If you disagree, that's fine. We can have it. We can have a disagreement, but part of mine is definitely based on expectation. So what did I, so like an A for one player doesn't necessarily mean, like you said, the same thing for another player. And also I think, especially for a lot of the Ducks young players, it's was their improvement because that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're looking for with a lot of those guys It's not so much how good are they now? It's how good are they now compared to a year before? And so that factored in heavily for a lot of these grades with the younger players. Yep. And Salem wants to say, give her opinion, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is so good. Okay. And um, yeah. And then also full disclosure, I did my homework preparing these and I don't think Jake did. So he's going more off the, off the hip, from the hip, off the cuff, whatever expression you You want to use. That that Panthers lightning game was very good. Yeah, well, and I, I, I decided to do that. Plus, also, uh, writing an expansion draft article. So you yeah, know, so you try, just, trying to write content for the website and just you know, you want to grade. You went a completely different route at the expense of being prepared for this. It's okay. It, this is actually good. I'm happy it that is. we that we have a little bit of a difference in approach because um, I'll just throw things at you and we'll see we'll see where we each land. So, do you want and, me to give you my grades first? As Let, we go through this, let's uh, let's mention the player, and I'm going to throw up just so everyone knows. I'm going to go ahead and throw up on the screen for anyone watching the the video version of this podcast. I'll throw up the J Fresh player evaluation card for the season, along okay. with I'll also put up Evolving Hockey's uh, player or RAPM chart for the season. So I'll just go through the list that I have, and it's okay. it's it's alphabetical from the last name. Down. Okay, so, let's let, let's do it. Okay, are you ready? Uh. <laughs> Give me one second I, I here. Really ready. I don't want. I don't want any multitasking. I want your full yeah. focus here. This you've is got, important. You've got my focus. The players are listening. I'm sure, waiting to hear their grades. So you, concerned about you, this. You've got my focus. <laughs> okay, David Backus. What's your da- grade for David Backus? David Backus. You know, I'm gonna go and Backus actually does not have a player card. I'm gonna go with uh, off the cuff. I'm gonna go with a C. I mean, the Interesting. the issue. The issue there is just he didn't play that much. But, I mean, what he did and when he did play, I think it was about where I expected him to be. I mean, he's a guy where if I now I'm pulling up the RAPM chart, he was uh, above replacement level slightly in terms of basically expected goals for, shot attempts for, uh, shot attempts uh, against, and basically at average and quality against. So I would say probably about a C. Yeah, I actually gave him a B plus. That's so fair. I went way more optimistic. Well, I mean, to me, he was really solid when he played despite okay. being 37. I mean, that that's, that's true. That's the part to me is that at his age, you would actually expect his performance to really take a hit year over year. And instead, there is even an argument he was as good as he was the season before, if not maybe even a little better in some areas. So that's um, fair. the impact did go down, but that's like it, it's not like a yeah, it wasn't like. It, I guess it just depends on where, and I think the the issue that I have there is just with the level amount of games that he played. Yeah, and but, and, and a C isn't necessarily meant to be a knock on him. That's just he was I where guess I expected my, him to. Be. My expectation was just a little lower. I didn't That's think fair. that that like he could follow, like he could keep doing that year over year at his age. That's um, fair. Just being kind of a solid two way guy. Okay, this is one that you probably have not thought of, which is fine. I I, I put him in my list because I just cut and paste the roster. Sam Carrick. What do you give Sam Carrick? He actually, so I'll just say this tiny sample, but he actually was good defensively if you just look at his numbers. Uh, but can, just can brought, I, can brought I just absolutely say, brought nothing offensively. Yeah, nothing. can I just say incomplete? I gave him a B because I was actually shocked when I looked at his numbers. I was like, huh, you know, I'll I'll give him some love here. I'll give him a B. 
I mean, here, let me just look. I'm curious how many games he actually played. But Sam Carrick, if I can find him on here, where is he? In the Sam Carrick played 13 games. Yeah, you know, he he played a he played a decent amount of games. Well, it's a, it's a it's a fifth of the season. Yeah, I okay. mean, sure. Okay. C. All C. right. Defaulting to a C. This will be a fun one. Max Contois. Max Comtois is an interesting one. I think you have to go with an A just because I think if you're looking at pure production, he's a guy that really took that big step in terms of being yeah. able to put the bat puck in the back of the net and really continue what he did. And I'm going to jump all around right now, but I now have open. He had uh, 33 points in 55 games, led the team in points, uh, had 16 goals, which if he played uh, over the course of an it's entire like 20, season. Roughly a 22-goal pace, 23, something like that. 23-goal season. And um, I think it was like 24. But um, the, the, the main concern, it's not, and I think this is the key thing here, is that my concern is how repeatable this is going to be, but that's not necessarily meant to be a knock. But he shot 17% on the season going back to his player card. You can see 62 percentile for war, but a lot of that's being driven by the fact that he was in the 79th percentile in t- terms of finishing. So whether he can continue that or not is going to be a key thing. And really what we need to see from him moving forward is essentially... I don't think he's going to maintain there. It's very doubtful. He's going to maintain a 17% shooting percentage. So what he has to do is he start needs to start generating more shots and more shot, uh, shot attempts, well, more thing. shots so, on goal. So that once that shot, uh, that shooting percentage comes down, the goals are still going to be there. Well, so that's the thing. That's why I gave him an A because he actually, so his offensive play driving at five on five took a huge improvement this year. He went from like a shot only guy to a guy who's still like, the big bulk of his value is his shot, but can actually help you drive offense, which is not something that yeah. he was doing before. And so, and even his defensive game, which is still not good, like it's still a weakness for him. It got better this year. It went from like absolutely atrocious to pretty bad. Like there's yeah. still, he took, he took steps in pretty much every facet of his game. And even if you want to say, okay, this might not be that re- repeatable, there's still signs that he is improving as a player overall. And so that's why for me, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty easy. A also just as an intangible, it feels like he's kind of becoming one of the leaders of this team. Like he's only, you know, his early twenties and it already feels like he's one of the go-to guys offensively. And so I think playing with Zegers, playing with Terry, more cerebral guys, he's only going to thrive as he continues. 100%. And so I think just, I think he definitely deserves an A. He's one of the few guys to actually score this year. I think my only concern is whether that's going to be repeatable or not. Well, sure. And that's the thing. Like, we don't know that for sure yet. But at the, but at the the same time, the signs point towards it's going to be. We are grading like what happened. Yes. This is like a forecasting grade. So keep that in mind as we continue on. Um, but yeah, I just I did want to really uh, just drive home the fact that he really did improve all just down the line, and that's that's good. That's a really good sign because there are other Ducks young players who did not do that. Yeah, and we we will get to them. Let's talk about uh, speaking of speaking of young players. You know what I just realized, Jake? You and Nick Delory are are born like maybe two months apart, or something like that. Yeah, I know. So uh, just you know. It's not a bad thing, um, but anyway. So, what are you, what are you giving Nick Delorier uh, a grade here? Also, grade? we should we should mention on Calm Toy, he's going to play for the World uh, Canada in the World Championships. So, yep. gonna be yep. interesting to see what he can do there. Uh, Nick Comtois, Nick Comtois, Nick, Nick, Nick Delorier. Um, it's hard because my expectations so low I, for him. I gave him a C minus. I think but, he he was still pretty bad, but he was actually like decent defensively. 
I'm going to go with a D. Okay. I mean, what's your expectation for him, though? My expectation, I mean, that that's, I guess, the issue here, but I think yeah. he was still worse than that. My my expectation, I guess maybe I should put it like this. He was, my actually, expect, my he, expectation, he was actually better this year defensively than he was last year. My expectation for anyone on the fourth line is to be a replacement level player. And yeah, I think but, that, but, I think. But these, so are you, so, okay, is your expectation now the role based on the role they play or the player themselves? I think it needs to be a mix. Because now, see, this is why I stayed away from drawing that hard of a line on my grades. Because well, there's got to be room for subjectivity. Yep, and I, mean, I am, and I am allowing that. C minus isn't a great grade for me. Like it's yeah. just he was fine. He wasn't like if you compare him to like Derek Grant, he wasn't that bad. And so I'm giving him maybe a charitable grade. If you told me like D D plus, I wouldn't hate it either. Um, but I think like there's at least something you can point to with Nick Delorier that matters at five on five. Yeah. I, he's just a total black hole uh, at even, or at offensively, which is funny because if you look at numbers, he actually does a decent job at getting his own shot. Kind of, but kind of de- like I, decent, I looked, decent. I looked at those numbers and they're decent. not decent. Decent. The, might the, be a the issue, the issue there is that nothing happens outside of him shooting. Well, that's the thing. He, regardless of him shooting by himself, he just doesn't, like when he's out there, there's just the ducks are yeah. not attacking. It, he gets his own shots and then the puck just goes the other but way. I will give him credit for like being a bl- well above replacement in terms of his defensive game. So I think that, you know, a little shout out. It's, it's okay. It's okay to, you know, look at things, you know, not always with the narrative in mind. Okay. Uh, real quick. Someone asked, I think how many goals he had five goals this year. Uh, yeah. Deloria did. So I don't know if that's something that you value value but i mean he had five goals i mean goals obviously matter but he had five goals shot seven per seven seven point seven percent yeah I, i'm not really grading like he's not a guy i'm grading on production agreed because agreed. that's not what he's being paid to do okay this was maybe the hardest one for me to grade and i kind of settled on a maybe a bit of a kicking the can down the road a bit of a punt jamie drysdale so here's the issue with jamie drysdale he had flashes where he looked awesome looked very in control confident with the puck but the numbers are just so atrocious, right? And he was just awful defensively when you look at the numbers. But by the same token, he probably should have been in junior this season. Like, if, if the world had been normal this year, a teenage defenseman would likely not have been playing in the NHL. And so I settled on C because I think all things considered, despite some of those numbers, because even though he they really tanked playing with Manson, he was still bad away from Manson as well. So... I felt like C was just kind of like, I, I, did, I, I didn't want to so, be too harsh, but I didn't want to give him anything more than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is where somewhat the expectation does come in. I think that a B is what I would give him because... But what, I, but what is the B based on, though? That's B, my issue. The like, B what is, do you have to point well, to? The B is based on, I think that he wouldn't have... He obviously like there's was, no objective basis for giving him a high grade. That's let the me, problem. Let, let me reason this out here for you. <laughs> okay. Let me see Let me I'm, see if I can talk my, my way out of this one or around this oh, one right here. Okay. Um, sure. I, I completely agree. His numbers, his on ice product, everything like that. Not great. Not great this season. Mm-hmm. But I think if the expectation for him was, I didn't even think we would see him in the NHL, let alone even have flashes of where he looked competent at the NHL level. And overall, the numbers are not great. I completely agree with that. Well, but I think, I think, I think, well, wait, 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 wait. But I, I think if you are trying to grade him along a line, the lines of going with expectation, I think he was above what I expected of him because I didn't even expect him to be in the NHL level and look competent um, in his flashes. And, and so that's where, where this B is coming from. And maybe it would be a B minus if I was giving out minus and pluses, but I've, I'm refusing to do that right that's now. Dumb. 
Um, but I, I would give him a B based on that, based upon the expectation. I think you're correct that his numbers aren't great. I think that no, they're bad. Like, they're, like yes, they're awful. they're up. The, our, his RAPM numbers are on the screen, so everyone can see they're defensively, awful. defensively not good. Um, but I think overall, when you're looking at the the expectation for him was essentially to be in juniors this past year, yeah. probably be two years out from the NHL and to even come in and, and have games where he did look extreme. He had some games like don't forget where he looked like he was the best defenseman yeah, on the and, ice. Yeah, and for that's the, Ducks. the thing. Like that's where my C is coming from because I watched him play and I I was very impressed by him. Like I don't want people to get the impression I'm down on yep. Drysdale. It's just if I'm being an objective observer, I can't just completely disregard. Yeah, and real quick, Yakubian's asking if we can explain RAPM. Essentially, here's the basics of it. It is essentially trying to isolate the player for their own individual contribution. And then it's it's standardized. So comparing it to like... A replacement level player. Exactly. So so all of these different categories that you're seeing on the screen with goals for per 60 is goals for per 60. Expected goals for per 60 is looking at shot quality for per 60. Corsi 4 percentages or Corsi 4 per 60 is... Shot quantity for expectables against shot quality against and Corsi against is shot quantity against. And so it's evaluating this player and their individual contribution versus a replacement level player. Anything negative is below anything above is uh, or anything plus is above uh, replacement level. Yeah, think, just think about it of like how far or, or be, how far above or below are you from an average player, replacement level player. And then those statistics try to isolate from the team. Yeah. So it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. And, so, and I think the other issue here with looking at some of these numbers is the fact that he was uh, on the right side as compared to the left or sorry, left side as compared to the right. Yeah. And but it, even on the right, he was, I mean, the numbers weren't good. So, but like, it's clear that playing, I think that, so what I've kind of settled on with that is the issue maybe was that he was playing his off wing, but it was mostly just playing with Manson because Manson will get to his grade. Not pretty. We'll get into Not, that explanation. So I, I think maybe I I think definitely I'm being a bit generous generous here. There, I mean that's no, fine. Like I think there's definite reason for optimism with him. Like I'm still high on him as a prospect. But yeah. like if I'm just evaluating what he did, like for him to get a passing grade with me is actually good because sure. I'm I'm still kind of overlooking to a degree the numbers. Okay, let's uh let's move forward here. This was kind of an interesting one because I haven't really spent too much time thinking about this player. Bit of a smaller sample, but Hayden Flurry. So I actually I actually took a look as Jake is like fixing his his setup over here. I had forgot to turn on my ring light until right now. Oh, well there you go. So Hayden Flurry, I gave him a B plus because he was actually very good defensively relative to the team. He had the best expected goals against per 60 of any Ducks regular defenseman. Overall numbers were pretty decent to strong despite playing a lot of minutes with Drysdale. He was really good when he played with Shattenkirk. My only kind of demerit with him was that like some of the narratives you heard of him having this untapped value of him, you know, kind of potentially being more than what he than what he was mm-hmm. what we had seen in in Carolina. I don't think that that really came to fruition and I don't know if it will, but my expectations were kind of minimal and he he surpassed them quite a bit. And you know, watching him play, he wasn't spectacular, but he was solid and that really that really bared out in the numbers. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, sorry, what did you give him again? B plus. I'd give him a B. I, I think that you're pretty spot on. I mean, I right now has, have his player card open, uh, for this past season. I'll jump right in now to the, uh, single season, uh, for him in terms of RAPM, uh, just to be able to get that on the screen, but he was solid for the ducks. I mean, he, he definitely, 
he he was decent in terms of uh, defensive metrics, things like that. And so I, I think that this is a situation where I think you're spot on that he doesn't necessarily have that untapped offensive potential that we were kind of um, that we were told that maybe he would have. But I think that he's a uh, he's a guy that could be a decent second pairing guy to stabilize things for the Ducks moving forward. Yeah, he could be Yanni Hockenpah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think he yeah, well he'll be better than that, but yeah. yeah, it's just kind of funny. Um speaking of Yanni Hockenpah, his uh his partner in crime this year, Cam Fowler. So to me, I thought this was gonna be a slam dunk A when I started kind of just doing this. I thought, oh, there's no way I'm gonna give him anything but an A. And I did end up giving him an A, but it wasn't it wasn't quite as clear cut as I thought it was gonna be because even though his numbers were pretty strong across the board. They weren't like elite level, you know, they weren't, they weren't amazing, but they were very solid in a bad situation playing with Yanni Hockenpah. What impressed me the most was just that he followed up a great year last year, which I didn't think he had in him with another solid campaign. And mm-hmm. then, like I said, carrying well, Yanni Hockenpah. And also yeah. what, what was, what was interesting with Fowler this year is his, his like zone exit numbers that he's traditionally really good at. We're not great this year. Surprisingly, they, they were bad. Yeah. And but he still was solid overall despite that. And yeah, he actually he was okay on the power play. So that's why I still gave him an A because I felt like my expectations were kind of it's ma- maybe it, a little tempered and I still and he's managed to surpass them. It, it's honestly quite it, it's kind of funny looking at his war percentage because he's in the 46th percentile and it's up right now for this past season. But I f- want like I feel like a decent amount of that is due to the PK. And he was not good on the penalty killing. I, I think that that's one thing we can agree on, that that was a... a and he also poor... took a lot of penalties. Yes, he did. And I think that that really negatively impacted his war total. Because for anyone out there that doesn't know, war is essentially this combination of your even strength offense, even strength defense, power play, play, penalty killing, finishing, and penalties. Those are the, the big factors into kind of all of this number here. But when you kind of isolate his numbers at five on five, which I think you and I tend to evaluate the most, especially with this past season for the Ducks, I I think uh, he was really, really good for this Ducks team. And I right now have up his RAPM chart. And you can see kind of how the goals for went towards him, how he was great at limiting or getting shot attempts for getting shot att- or and limiting shot attempts against. And the fact that he did it with Yanni Hockenbaugh for most of the year, he played with Jacob Larson near the end of the season. And he's continued this kind of trend of elevating D partners. And that's something that maybe might not show up in terms of a uh, wins above replacement model. Um, but you look at every single defensive defenseman he's played with this last, these last couple seasons, their numbers significantly drop off when they go away from uh, Cam Fowler. And so I, I think that that's something that is noteworthy that should be brought up. And I think that's why I would give him an A. Yeah. Like an A felt right after kind of thinking about it more. Cause at first when I was looking through everything, I was like, huh, this is not the story I was expecting to be mm-hmm. told, but the more you dug in, the more it started to make more sense. Okay. Let's let's um, unless you had anything else on Fowler. Nope. Okay. Let's move on to Ryan Getzlaff. So I, I gave him a B plus and um, I thought I would give him higher actually when I went into this, but you know, he was, he was good. Like actually his game improved from last year like he had a bounce back year his defensive um, impact actually jumped up and at 35 to still be a positive in play driving and to be improving year over year even if it's a bounce back to me that's very impressive and look he had to carry guys like max jones around the ice a lot played with troy terry and although troy terry's good he's not a finisher and i think that to me is why his production was kind of suppressed 
mm-hmm. he he generated his, his best offensive like generation was with Contois, but Aikens just and with Henrique, but Aikens kind of went away from that after a while. So to me, Getzlaff is still good. He's still a yeah. guy who can help a team. And and I now have up his player card, and you're seeing obviously 27th percentile in terms of WAR. And this is where I, I like to dive a little bit deeper on things. And you can see if you look purely at his even strength offense and defense, he's still really, really good. And sure, the production fell off. But like you, you mentioned this to me before the show. You had me guess who was his most uh, common or who was the player he had the most time with. And it yeah, was like, Max Jones. Like on his wing. Yeah, it was Max Jones. And so that's not exactly a guy. Max Jones is a guy who's not exactly known for finishing the puck. Yeah, and, and it's funny because their on-ice shooting percentage wasn't bad, but you know that it's probably being elevated by Getzlaff to a degree. Yes, and so he's a guy where I look at his play, even-strength offense, even-strength defense, and look at that uh, how he did there. And also, as I jump now to uh, Evolving Hockey's um, uh, uh, RAPM charts, and if I'm remembering correctly as I pull it up, he was really, really good in terms of RAPM numbers. Uh for uh, this past year and not as good as actually I remembered off the top of my head, but still above replacement level, significantly above replacement level defensively. And so I I think you're spot on. I think it's hard to give him an A mainly because of the fact that um, you kind of, you kind of have to produce to get into the A territory. Like there, there is like, you have to be really good. And I think he was great in what, in his role, what the expectation was, but you still got to consider what the overall impact was. And it wasn't necessarily this elite level impact. And it does bode well if they bring him back for another year, because I think he can potentially still contribute for them. Um, so we'll see. But I, I just came away from this, like this little exercise thinking, yeah, Ryan Getzlaff is still a good player and that's important for this team. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything else on Getzlaff? Uh, no, I mean, his production obviously fell off, but I mean, what do you expect, uh, from a guy that, that is, that is, uh, 35 years old. Tell that to the people that are saying he's done. Yeah. He's not done. He's still (laughs) like, here's the thing. He's still a good second or third line center for the team. Tell that to his coach. who's putting him on the wing with Derek Grant. (laughs) He's probably going to end up getting a contract, uh, for a one year deal at two or three mil, something along those lines. I'm calling it now. Ryan Getzlaff has a bounce back season points wise next year. Like, yeah. He was suppressed. Well, and, this year. and how much of this do we want to just mention that this was a, a 56 game season? Like, this is a small sample size season. Yeah. I mean, there is some criticism for him in terms of how bad the power play was because he is like relied upon for that. But, you know, it's at 35. Should you be relying upon a 35 year old to drive your power play, though? Exactly. So that's the thing. I That's why I settled on a B. Plus. Felt really good about it. Feel great about it. Love having pluses and minuses. Oh, is it just because you hate plus minus? Is that why you don't want it next to your letter grade? But uh, I mean, you know, uh, isn't it that plus minus is like a, a good stat? It's it, it tells you what it means or something like that. I don't it, know. it it really isn't. Okay, no, let's um, let's let's go to John Gibson. So I gave him a C minus, C minus. How do you feel about my C minus? I think that's no. I, I think that's way too high. Too high. Well, so here's the thing. If you compare like his GSAX, which was about minus four, to his expected save percentage, he had, I think, the 81st or 82nd ranked expected save percentage out of 92 eligible goalies. So he was in one of the worst possible environments for goalies. And even though he was below expectation, like he wasn't that far below it necessarily. And so he did, he was actually slightly better than how he played last season. 
still a very long way from where he was, but I feel like C minus is comfortable to me. So it depends, I guess. This like I comes... wasn't I wasn't expecting him to be a Vezina goalie this year. So I guess this comes back to what his expectation is, and for me, I would say the expectation for John Gibson is to be an above replacement level goalie. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and I don't think he was that this year. So what are you giving him? I'm giving him a D. And this isn't necessarily to say John Gibbs is a bad goalie. He had a rough season. Yeah, I mean, D isn't crazy. Like, if you told me D, I'm, I'm not going to fight you super hard on it. I think he was maybe... He's a victim of expectation. Because I think that if you just look at what he did, he wasn't he wasn't good, but he wasn't like this awful goalie either. Um, so... He was well, it, he he was below replacement level. I, I think that that is, that is an adequate he, way to he describe was the below, season. He was, but he was just playing in a bad environment. Like, yes, one hundred percent. Like that's agree. the thing that we can't like. That's the problem with looking at below or above expected is you have to consider what is he below or above. Because if he's below, if he's slightly below a very bad, very adverse environment for a goalie to perform, that's still not great. But it's maybe not quite as bad as if he was you know underperforming a good environment. Yeah, so. and I mean, we had Kat Silverman on the podcast last offseason. She even mentioned... Like, these numbers that, aren't gospel no, for goalies. Th- there are issues with them, and, and so they're not gospel. But she mentioned this um, on the show, that for comparing goalies to each other, they're not the best ever. But if you want to compare a goalie to himself, yeah. that that is something and that you can, you can do. And now, granted, the environment can change, and the, I mean, his numbers significantly fall off once Dallas Akins comes into into play here. So maybe there is something there. He, with the he new did system. play. I think he, and if we're going to do the comparison himself, he did play a little better this year than last year. So, yeah, but I, I still think if the expectation for him was to be one of the top 10 goalies in the league, he wasn't I mean, that. What is that expectation based on? That's, that's something that was like two, three years ago now. Like, well, I like, think the expect that was based on the fact that he had a, a long off season to recuperate the yeah. fact that he was going to come back and the fact that he's paid yeah. as if he's a top 10 goalie think, in the league. I feel like there were a lot of goal, a lot of players that had that narrative too of like, okay, mm-hmm. long off season. And then it just didn't happen. Like Eric Carlson is one of them anyway. So yeah, I mean, maybe I'm being a little generous here. Um, that's yeah. just where I landed. You saying a D is not crazy. If you had said F, I'd be like, okay, that's... So, D.B. Lowry, I think this is mm-hmm. exactly how I feel about it. That mm-hmm. it's like Gibson was bad this year. He had a down season. But it's also... You can also say that he wasn't the reason the Ducks were as bad as they were. No. Him him having a bad season could be... Uh, it didn't help. It, no. It, it, it wasn't their get-out-of-jail-free card that they no, had we, in the past. I mean, which is what... Honestly, I think if, the, if you were to ask the Ducks what their... Uh, their path to success was this past year, it would have been John Gibson being playing at Vesna level. Like, I think the Ducks expectation, which is such a, which is such a bad strategy, <laughs> but I think the Ducks, like if you were to ask Bob Murray, like what the, this team would have looked like if they were to make the playoffs, it would be essentially the Winnipeg jets, which is in a horrible five on a uh, f- horrible team at five on five that just basically relies upon, um, insane goaltending, and the one thing the Jets do have that the Ducks don't, though, is a lethal power play due to some having some high end talent. Yep, yep. So C minus D. He wasn't that good this year. No, yep. no, no question about it. Okay. Yep. Next up, this should be fun. Derek Grant. So I gave Derek Grant a high grade. I gave him a D minus. Yeah, he's he he gets an F from me, dog. I gave him a D minus. Ah, fine. I'll I'll change that. Go for it though. I mean, I gave him a D minus because he was still a very good penalty killer this year. Like, he he was also one of the few ducks that wasn't terrible at finishing, which I guess I'll give him a little credit for. The problem with him is he just brought no value at five on five, zero value at five on five. But because and and the thing is, I'm not really 
I'm not going all the way to F because at least he brought you something, which was the PK. And so, and also, I mean, again, this is not to get him completely out of, out of trouble here, but he should not have been playing at the level that he, like, no. he should not have been playing against the guys he was playing against. <laughs> he should not he have was, been playing he against was, Nathan he McKinnon. Was, like Derek Grant should have been used as just a true fourth liner. And he actually wasn't by Dallas Higgins. He was given defensive responsibility. So I feel like maybe it's a little harsh to give him an F because he's just playing. He's completely miscast in this team in the system. I, I'm D, gonna D minus is still not good. Yeah, I think I'll I'll make the exception and give him a D minus. With the only wow. the only reason why he's not an F is due to the fact that you are correct. He was okay on the penalty kill, but I right now no, have he was up as, great on the penalty kill. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have it. I have his RAPM chart up right now. It's always hilarious to look at it. Cause he breaks yeah. the axis. Yeah, he does. Like he was awful at five on five. Like no he just bled shot attempts against. Like it's hilarious. And somehow he still is above replacement level in terms of actual goals for, which just shows even by with being horrible, he still somehow got lucky, which goes to the finishing aspect of it. Yeah. But I mean, you have to change the access to four. Yeah. Or access to to four as compared to three to be able to see how bad he was. And also, like the penalty differential wasn't good, which kind of goes to playing without the puck so much defending so much like mistakes he was definitely not a positive for this team this year i think that part of the issue is the ducks signing him to a three-year deal it's it's dallas akins giving him a prominent role like these are all things that are kind of outside of his control and look he didn't live up to that billing but i'm not letting him completely off the hook either so yeah yeah i mean he was bad he if if we had to say the worst duck of the season, he's I think we I actually did say he was the least valuable player last episode. So, yeah, I there you go there. I have a lower grade than him on this list. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, I think I'm going to have an F. I I think that I'm giving him that D minus because of him being good on the power. OK, power kill. here's another here's I think this is my first D plus. This is I think this is my first D plus. I don't know if you're keeping track. Let me know if I'm wrong. But um, my first D plus Danton Heinen. So here was my expectation for Danton Heinen that he would come in, contribute at five on five um, and just kind of be a positive for this team. And if you look at his numbers, like he just wasn't that like if you squint hard enough, maybe you'll come away saying he was just okay. He was fine on the penalty kill, chipped in a little bit offensively at the end, um, did improve a little bit over last year in terms of like his defensive play. But he just wasn't that good this year, and how I feel, much and, of and that? I, I feel how, kind of silly. And he played like forty three games, so it's no. not it's not as if he didn't play. I just want to clarify that because I thought of that. How much of that? How much of this is him being jostled around by Dallas Higgins? But he still played the the grand. I mean, he was of the scratched game. thirteen games and was in and out. Didn't ever. It took him a long time to get actual looks at various. Yeah, but times. like I feel like we probably overplayed a little bit how much time he missed. Like he still like he still played over four fifths of the season. So anyway, he just wasn't that good. I gave him a D plus. Like my expectation was he'd be good, that he'd kind of force people's hand. He didn't do that at all. And here we are. Tell me I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking now at his numbers and I mean, here's the thing on him. And I, I would agree with you. I think I might go ooh, if I'm going to keep it and no pluses or minuses. Yeah, there we here's, go. Here's the tough thing. Do this I go is a C? Limitation. Do I go C or D? Because I, I think when I'm saying C, I think looking at Danton Heinen, it depends on, I guess, on what you expected from him. And I expected him to be essentially a replacement level player. And he, he wasn't he, that he was, uh, yeah, fair. He was, he, wasn't sli- that. he was slightly below. Yeah. So do I, I put that in the C range or the D range? I gave nope, him a D nope. plus, no plus or minuses. So I'm going to go with a C. 
Wow, that is so charitable. No that pluses so or charitable. minuses, so I'm going with a C. Yeah, I, I, I thought long and hard about giving a C minus to a C, and I just, I in good faith, could not do it because he was very underwhelming this season. That's fair. Like I said, I, I'm on the lower end of the C with him, but yeah. I. And, and I'm not saying he was bad this year. Like, he wasn't this awful player, but, like, relative to expectation, maybe relative to how much we were frustrated about him not playing, I kind of feel like an idiot now, in hindsight, because, like, his numbers just aren't good. So, yeah, D-plus, Danton Heinem. Sorry about it. Okay, here here's an interesting one. Here's one that we already talked about early in the show. Adam Henrique. Where did you land on Adam Henrique? I'll just tell you where I, what I gave him. I gave him a C. Roughly 20-goal pace in an 82-game season. Early finishing woes, but he still shot over 17% at 5-on-5. Didn't drive offense, struggled defensively. Um, Kind of a season you would expect, though, at age 31. Like, some good, some bad. He was just fine. He was fine relative to expectations. And here's the thing with Adam Henrique. Adam Henrique has always kind of been an above-level finisher. Mm -hmm. Um, He's always been a guy that, I mean, he shot 15%, but I'm going to pull up his entire... Um, uh, his entire thing, but his average shooting percentage over the course of his career is 15%. Like that, that is normal for him. And he's a guy that does get good looks. And so part of that 15% is, is a mix of him getting a bit lucky, but it's also a mix of where his expected goals are coming from. And, well, there, and where his... there, there is such a thing as shooting talent. And like, no, he, has, and, and he yes. has that. Yes, there, there is shooting talent. And, but I think that a good part of it is that also he's getting looks in good spots. And so I, I think from an, a team that was offensively starved to have another guy that could finish at 15% and continue to do that, I think I'm going to give him a B. Really? Okay. I mean, I think that he was fine. He was above, I think he was above he, what he, you he, expected as a 30-year-old for him to be on a 20-year-old or 20-goal pace Yeah, in, in the course of an 82-game season. Like, I mean, I think to me what he did this year is almost exactly what I would expect. Like, like fair, you know. but I mean, here's the thing. If, if he had a 20 goal season, it is mm-hmm. like a 20 goal season on this ducks team mm-hmm. in an 82 game season. Yeah. I think that that's a B. Well, the thing is that's if you're only judging him on that, like there are other elements that I'm looking at. Like he's one on of the few games. guys that can score though. And so I'm going to give him some, if, so I, you're, if, if so I'm going to get your grade purely on goals, if I'm no, but if I'm giving Comtois a, because of the fact that he's, uh, giving him an A based on the fact that... Well, Conto was better at driving offense than Henrique was. Sure, but Henrique was still about replacement level in terms of uh, generating offense and, and still had some solid expected yeah. goal numbers. He was... Like, here's the thing with Henrique. Henrique Different defense... expectation, though. Different expectation. Fair. Uh, for me, he's a B. For me, he's a B. Okay. He's, he's on a 20-plus goal pace as a 31-year-old. Um, by the way, C is not like some bad grade. It's no, a pa- it's a passing grade. Hey, you're the one giving me a hard time for giving him a B. I just think he wasn't, he wasn't like that good to me. He wasn't like B, B range. Like if you had told me C plus sure, but like B, B range is a little high, but that's fine. That's fine. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not a crazy take either. Not a crazy take. No. It's not, it's not galaxy brain. It's not the worst. It's not the worst take you've had. Wow. So, so there you go. Wow. Little olive branch for you. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you want to talk about Max Jones? What, what, I, I actually, this was one that I couldn't really land on, but I'm going to land here since I had two grades written down. I'm going to give him a D plus. I think yeah. he, he showed some okay flashes of improvement, but didn't really find a role, like a niche in terms of his play style. Um, his production, arguably, like we were talking about propped up by playing with Getzlaff. finishing rate was still not that high. And the hope, 
slash expectation at this age range is that he's taking steps forward every year, or at least some, some things are getting better. And for him, there's just not really anything that you can point to with him. So that's why to me, it was a disappointment. My expectation was that he would continue to build and he didn't really do that, which is why I kind of have to take him out of the C range and go to D plus. Yeah, I think I'm going to give him a D also. I mean, I right now have him up on the screen. I mean, he is Max Jones is I, mean, I guess maybe even below, but he's essentially the exact type of player that I would qualify as a replacement level player. He's also 23, which is kind of a concern because like this is going to be this is becoming who he's going to be, right? Like slowly but surely. And so he's got maybe a couple more years where you're expecting like a big Well, because pop. because I mean, we've seen with aging curves, age your your prime production year starts I think around like 24, 25 and, and just you basically hit it then and then keep that going until about 29 yes. years old. So and so would, th- there is supposed some, to be in the incline in this range. Yes, there there is some there is is the the ability to have some increase in scoring over that time based upon variance and and things like that um and uh essentially like you you can see that flux or that that push up but i think overall looking at max jones i mean he's a replacement level player to me i mean he he's a bottom six player he's below replacement level even this past year and i'm going to jump right now to the rapm chart before we kind of move on from him but i i really just I mean, if we're going to talk about kids in terms of taking steps, he just didn't, he, he didn't. And I don't know if I would necessarily say he took a step back, but he's just basically the same spot that he's at. Yeah. And that's the thing, like with the, with the younger players, I think my curve was a little more generous because I am factoring in the improvement season over season. Like maybe that's why Contois ended up being an A um, and like a player like Henrik didn't because I, for one, I'm giving him credit for the improvement with Jones. Like there's just nothing, like there's just nothing that you can really point yeah. to. No. And that's frustrating. Um, talking about frustrating, let me introduce you to my friend Jacob Larson. My only F on this list. I mean, this is impressive because he was already terrible last year. Got worse this year. Got worse defensively. Worse offensively. Bad in every category. Added no value to this team. Like, even Derek Grant, you can at least say, look at that penalty kill. With Jacob Larson this year... There was essentially nothing. Maybe the only thing you can say is that he didn't. He wasn't one of the worst penalty takers. His penalty differential wasn't that bad when he's on the ice. But like this, it's a con- it's a concern now. Like he's twenty three and he's not getting any better. Arguably worse. And um, I just couldn't give him anything higher than an F. I'm sorry. Yeah, an F's the right answer. I mean, he was horrible. Yeah, he was absolutely absolutely horrible. I mean, the only time in the entire season where he looked. Uh, looked okay was next like to cam com- fowler com- again competent. <laughs> it looked was next to cam fowler against the la kings and that's it and, yeah. and so a lot a lot going for him in those situations that doesn't exactly bode well for kind of evaluating him having the increase and so, like how good did he really look to in those stretches like that's the thing is like he looks good you look fine i just think that even this isn't even like an eye test versus analytics thing like if anyone who watches him play is like yeah like he misses assignments bad reads like he's just all over the place defensively and isn't really giving you much. He's giving you nothing on the other end to counteract that. So the only thing he's done well is he didn't take that many penalties this year. Yeah, exactly. That, so. that, that is it. I mean, so there is that. Let me just really quickly before we move on, show everyone his uh, RAPM charts. Uh, so you, you can all see. Yeah, everything's negative. Yep. Everything's negative. Okay, let's uh, let's bring the mood back up, though. This is one that I... Again, my expectation going into it was I was going to be probably a little more contrarian, go lower than the narrative, but I ended up actually going higher than I expected. I gave Isaac Lundestrom a B plus. 
I give him a B plus. And I did that because I thought that if you compared him again this year to last year, showed some significant improvement in his defensive game. Like his his metrics defensively were actually good this year. Like mm-hmm. you were talking about above replacement level showed some flashes of offensive potential. I am a little skeptical of that though. Um, I mean, it he, was, it was basically all in that one hat trick game. Yeah. But I mean, still we're talking about flashes and he, yep. est- he established himself as a decent to good penalty killer, which is a potential niche for him. Um, you know, well, and the expectation, this is the other thing. The, the last thing for him is the expectation was also that he might not even be in the NHL this year. So for him to come up and be, somewhat of a contributor at age 21. Um, that's why I felt really comfortable giving a B plus because he really outperformed what I thought he was going to do this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. I think a B is probably fair. I, mm-hmm. I think that's probably where I'd go with it. I'd probably be in the, the C to B range, but I'd probably be closer to B. So I'll go there. The one thing that I was looking at today that, that I found actually kind of intriguing and interesting with, with him is looking into some of Corey Schneider's manual uh, tracking data, uh, shutdown line on Twitter. Re- really, really good stuff. Isaac Lundestrom outside of like Terry and Zegers is the best transition player on the ducks. Well, cause and he, he's one of those guys who doesn't like, he like doesn't dump, dump it in. Yeah. Exactly. He carries it. He carries it in. The issue is, is that he doesn't really do anything with it once he's in the offensive zone. Yeah. But I think the, the thing that's good is that he does make a concerted effort to not dump it in to, to get it into the zone. And, and so I, I think that that's one stride for him forward. I think that he's the guy that you think maybe took a step. I don't think that, there's a narrative somewhat surrounding him that he took this big step offensively. I don't think that's really it's actually something. the other way around. He got yes. a lot better defensively, which yes. is interesting, which is funny because I feel like th- that is actually closer to his billing in his yep. draft year was yep. like kind of a, a, a shutdown guy. Once again, setting realistic expectations for players is important <laughs> here, folks. And, and so as we've talked about a bunch. And so I think that with Isaac Lundstrom, I think, yes, he, he was good this year. He took the step forward defensively that was expected. And I think that, uh, you and I both had him pegged for at best probably being about a fourth line center going into the season as his long-term projection. I think that he took a step to make us adjust that. And I think I would say he probably is going to be like a third line center. If yeah. This, if this trend continues for him, a, a no a kind of low offensive, uh, low offense ceiling, solid defensively uh, isn't going to harm you and kind of helps uh, limit chances out there when he's on the ice as a third line center. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that what's most encouraging is that he's showing a big step at a young age. So like that's that's just generally a good sign for young players if there's like that kind of here's that, a question that for you stepwise improvement mm-hmm. as I'm writing my expansion draft article so I, I'm gonna have to piece this together do you do you protect Lundstrom is he an instant protect uh, I mean they don't have a lot of guys that make me feel that way <laughs> so maybe he's a guy that you want to protect just because untapped value potential there you want to see where it goes I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really thought about the expansion draft too much. That's your job. Yeah. Um, I mean, is he for you? Is that where this is going? I don't know yet. I haven't gotten. I like I said, I'm going to have to piece this together and think it through. I'm, I'm in the process of it. I'm, I'm thinking it through. I think he is an auto protect for me, though, based upon the guys available to be protected. Yeah, because the, the question becomes whether you protect him because here's where I'm at with it. I, I'm pretty positive. The Ducks are going to go four D men, leaving them four forward. So you protect Raquel. Terry, um, uh, Lundestrom, and then one of Steele, Jones, Hine, and Milano. And so I think Lundestrom has to be one of those four guys. I really don't yeah. foresee myself putting one of those guys that afterwards I mentioned above of him. Yeah. And yes, and- I, Isaac Lundestrom is eligible to be taken. This is actually clarity that I received <laughs> today from Cap yes. Friendly. I, I 
obviously their tools up to date. I just want a clarification on exactly what to find a first or second year pro. So essentially first or all, uh, non anyone that's not a first or second year pro is eligible. What is defined as a year of professional experience for the expansion draft is if you're 18 or 19 years old, it's 11 NHL games. If you are 20 or older, then it is one NHL, AHL, or European uh, professional game if you are under a contract. Isaac Lundestrom, that year, first year when he was 18, played 15 games, making him uh, making that count as one year, and this would have been his third professional season as a result of that, which is why he is expansion draft eligible. And that same season, Max Comtois only played 10 games, which is why Comtois is not eligible because that did not count then. Yeah, so everyone check out that article once Jake finishes it. So, sometime this week. Sometime, sometime this, week this week is week's. the plan. Keep keep it keep it locked into our website. Okay, let's um we have about five to six more players to get through. So okay. I feel confident we'll get through them and uh give everybody their fair fair time in the limelight. Uh maybe we can get, keep this one shorter. Josh Manson didn't play a lot this year. When he did play, he was terrible. Uh I guess he did somewhat produce offensively. He had like seven points. I give him a D minus. He D. was just B D oh D D okay sorry D is in dog I, I almost I almost fell out of my chair when, <laughs> yeah. when I, I thought I heard B I almost like had, had a panic attack um he was just so bad and and I really think the Ducks may end up regret not trading him we'll see and how much do we factor in in the negative light his injuries being his own fault well one of the notes I wrote down was poor judgment yeah like I think he had some poor judgment this year easy for me to say I get all that like this is probably unpopular take but like He's really important to this team. Putting yourself in harm's way like he did in those fights is just like, yep. got to maybe be a little more calculated. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I don't necessarily ever want to blame a player for getting injured like, because like, I don't, what, I don't think that's necessarily no, fair, like, but I, I think that it should be mentioned. The fact it's that the, it's both, the risk calculation, two of two of his injuries came from non hockey players. Like, yeah. I think that that is something important that he put himself into that position in those non, not or those plays, not within the whistles and he got injured twice during it and that knocked out a decent amount of his season and so i think that in the same way that you kind of give players a, a knock for for taking poor penalties for poor decision making with that i think that you have to give josh manson the same type of thing with uh when you're evaluating him with those decisions that he made to jump in and take those fights and he's too important to this team now granted as as i say that we're gonna say he wasn't great when he was on the ice but I mean, still, the alternatives uh, were essentially Yanni Hockenbaugh playing in an elevated role, and Hockenbaugh was good. Actually, I mean, Hockenbaugh was better. Yeah, Hockenbaugh was actually better. Year. But but, yeah. but still, my my point is is that the decision making wasn't great. Yeah. And as you can see, when you look at the RPM, when you looked at his player card, 18th percentile this past season for WAR. By the way, Felix, I've been showing this current season only from yep. uh, from Jay Fresh. Uh, okay. And so yes, by the way, all these player cards from Jay Fresh. Go go subscribe to his Patreon if you can. They are worth, absolutely, worth it. Absolutely worth it. Um, to be able to dive into some of these numbers, understanding it. He he gives you great stuff there. Okay, this is one that we may we may have a disagreement on. I don't know. I don't know where you'll I know, land. I I think I know where this is going. Ricard Raquel. Oh no, that's not where you where I thought you were going. Who, where did you think I was going? Uh, I thought you were. I I I wasn't realizing. I didn't. I don't have a list of the players alphabetically. So I thought we were going to to Shattenkirk. Oh, and we're we're one player away from Shattenkirk. Okay. Don't worry. So, Ricard Raquel, I've I had a hard time evaluating him because if you just look at what he did, like just shooting wise, his impact on the game, he actually improved a little bit defensively over last year. His shooting metrics pretty much was all the same. Even and like for example, his individual expected goals per sixty, 
were, they were about the same as the years where he was putting up 30 goals. Like he was playing the exact same way, but he just had such brutal puck luck that none of that ended up really mattering in the end in terms of production. So hey, I, and so I, I, I wavered between C plus and B minus. Cause I, yeah, I, it, it's, it's tough because right now I have this player card and this is the drawing thing. And I actually took a look at some of, cause Jay fresh has some, some information on top down hockey model where you can look at it and look at the different actual components and how they weight and factor into this war. Cause he's in the one percentile for war. <laughs> And, and a big part of that is the the 1% finishing and his negative shooting luck. And if you look at kind of the components and how they impact it, that negative shooting luck or negative shooting talent or however you want to explain it is such a big portion that it makes him essentially a negative player. And within this, they also have a shooting adjusted war um war percentage or or something along those lines where essentially it takes out shooting and the the purpose of doing it is so that you can look at it and you can essentially look at play driving and and look at how they were at five on five and if you do that he's third on the ducks in a positive percentage and that's that's just the thing yeah i I don't think he was like hurting this team when he was out there like he was not he was not one of the issues in terms of bringing them down the main thing to try to almost equate what you're seeing in these numbers right now and right here is that he the the looks that he got if the ducks if he would have finished that the ducks probably would have seen a, a big increase in their value over the course of the season but the thing is to use your henrique logic like if we're I feel like you that is what he's graded on is his production, right? And so like he yes, is a goal yes, he, he is a yes, goal scorer. Yes. And, and looking at that the other way, so he, he didn't real do quick, that. by the way, this one percent is uh first percentile. It's he, not it's not one yeah. percent shooting. He he's not being paid to be like just, you know, an okay a play driving. Well, yeah, he's like, only getting paid three point six mil. I understand, but like the, his role on this team is to Fair. be a scorer. And I, and, I, and, I, and so that's that's why I waver between C and B. I think maybe I'm being too nice by saying B and I complete or biased or however you want to do it. But I, I think that his underlying metrics are so good. And I think on Henrique, the one thing that I'll say there they're, is they're, that they're not quite as good. Well, no, but on Henrique, I'll say this. He has a history of being able to shoot at 15% and continue that and keep doing that. And so that's kind of where I, I think the B comes in, even with the poor metrics, the poor metrics are there, but he's able to outproduce that and has been able to do that over the course of his, his entire career. Ricard Raquel, I think on the other hand, this low shooting percentage, this, I mean, if we, let me get it up very quickly right here, but his, uh, 6% shooting. Um, I can guarantee you with the amount of shots and the amount of looks, he's led the ducks in shots on goal over the last two seasons. That's not going to continue. Like that's eventually going to tick up. He's going to have 20 goal seasons again. And and so I think if you're trying to evaluate the way he played, I I think a B B is valid. And I think, I mean, the other thing is how harsh are we being on him when he was also second on the team in points? Yeah. Well, I mean, 33 points led the team. True. But, but, but fair, but I mean, Here's yeah. the thing. I, I think Raquel's a B. I think he's a B. I think you look at the shooting percentage, you look at things like that. He he led the Ducks in shots on goal at 143. He led them in an individual expected. Yeah, goals. I mean, to I, me, I'm comfortable in my C plus, B minus range because I feel like that's that's a bit more accurate than a B. A B, well, a B feels I, a little high. Well, you know, no pluses or minuses. Have Limita- to take a stand. Limitations of your system. Have to take a stand I mean, going, going with a B. If I were to pick one of these two, I think I would lean towards B minus just because I yeah. do think like... Again, that lack of finishing really 
It does of, hurt. It did hurt them, like no doubt. Like yeah. if he ends up finishing a decent amount on the power play, the power play looks better. And, yeah. and and you and I, I think it was on the Patreon episode. We talked about the power play in general. That sure, it's bad, and they need to rework it. Mm-hmm. But it's not as bad as it actually seemed. If you no. look at things like expected goals, they were generating more expected goals in the it power play. It was just than like they, bottom tier instead of like you know historically awful. Or, yeah, it was like twentieth as compared to thirtieth. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on here. Let's move on to because we could do the Raquel thing all day. Um, to the player you wanted to discuss, which maybe we'll have diverging opinions in this one too. Who knows? Kevin Shattenkirk. So I gave Kevin Shattenkirk a B plus. I give him a high grade. Damn! Wow! I'm actually shocked right now. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the funny thing: his impacts at five on five were almost the same and better in some respects as Cam Fowler's, who we yeah have have showered with praise. And individually still actually kind of helped the power play. I think the big demerit for him is just the penalty taking. It was, it was a legitimate issue that never really went away. I mean, even until like the very last game of the season or second to last game, still taking penalties, but he was, he provided value to this team. He was a stabilizing force on the back end. The penalties do take away from that, but I think a B plus to me is, is a, is a fair grade. Yeah, so, and real quick, up on the screen is uh, your expected goals for, here's, here, court, uh, for Ra- your, your RPM for Raquel. The the thing on Shattenkirk, and I'm actually going to agree with you. I think B is the, the correct answer. Are you answer. giving him a B or an A? Because you, you're stuck now. You, nah, you can't do what I did. Nah, I'm giving him a B. I'm giving That's, him a B mainly because I can't give him an A because of the penalties. Like, you are 100% correct. Like, the penalties were, were a big issue. If I go back to this player card, he was in the first percentile in terms of penalties, which means the, the differential was so bad that uh it was among the league's worst and yes but like maybe b plus is a little high i am i am not like if you told me b plus is too high i wouldn't think you're crazy here's the funny thing you can go much lower are you and i the only people that are saying this about shattenkirk you mean (laughs) cj because it's funny how the narrative is just the narrative so warped to the fact that it's the eye test versus numbers well, completely up, with him he didn't put up points is, well he didn't he didn't put up he didn't put up points and i think whenever he was on whenever a goal happened against it was a play that he had a uh they that was a result of his play it was a noticeable play from him mm-hmm. and the thing is those types of plays were noticeable whereas what he did to drive uh offense the other direction which was breaking the puck out of the zone making very nice zone exits uh things that are really under help- the radar under the radar type of things, they're not noticeable to the eye that that much. And those are the things that he did so well. And that's why you see even strength offense and defense still being above the 50th percentile for him and, and yeah, really mean, helping he him. Was, and, he was better defensively than Fowler. Yeah. Like, and I mean, he was above replacement level in every single metric at five on five, except for goals four per 60. And so that. That yeah. I think is the biggest thing. That explains goal, the that explains the the difference in opinions, right? There. Goal goals for percentage. I mean, you and I have talked about this. Look at a player that the perception doesn't meet reality, uh, or the narrative doesn't meet with reality. And a lot of times, it's if you look at goals for percentage versus expected goals for percentage, that is exactly kind of the issue. And I mean, how much do you also knock him for the fact that he was brought in to be the savior of the power play? And I think that that was probably an unrealistic expectation. Exactly. And I think you and I both tried to really adjust that when we talked about him being brought in. And he still wasn't terrible on the power play. No, but but what he did, he was not terrible. You and I both kind of mentioned this, that sure, he's probably going to help out the power play a bit. But the real kind of benefit to bringing in Shattenkirk is he's a solid player at five on fives that's going to help draw drive offense 
for the Ducks. And I believe that basically when he was on the ice, the Ducks got more expected goals for uh, than they did without him. And that shows you kind of the type of offense they did. He was a high event type of player. And when you have a high event type of player, there's going to be mistakes that happen against, but they drive offense towards the other side, which as we mentioned, the Ducks took a big step back in terms of expected goals for per 60 this past season. And so the fact that they did that, even with adding Shattenkirk who helped like that's, kind of jarring when you think about it overall yeah i agree another guy whose results are jarring not in a good way sam Steele, who i gave a d minus this is what was this is what's concerning yes can i give him an f is that too harsh i mean okay i tried to go all the way in (laughs) f i tried i wanted to give him an f but when i kind of peeled back the layers like this these were the issues first of all defensive game got worse like that's Off, r- offensive that, game was bad. Also, like there was very marginal improvement and offensive play driving, very marginal, but no real individual improvement in that area. He wasn't necessarily awful, like in a Larson sense, but there were just no clear signs of progress from a guy who was already pretty poor to begin with and no real strengths also coming to the forefront. So I gave him a D minus. Um, Cause like, despite how underwhelming he was, he wasn't like completely terrible. Um, but if you want to give him an F, sure, go for it. I'll let you be the one. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to to give him an F. And the main <laughs> reason here is that really the only thing that he did good this year was essentially shooting. It, as you have up on the player card, it's finishing at 71%. And the issue is, is when you think about his goals, there were a good <laughs> amount of his goals that would account for finishing yeah. that he had no part in. <laughs> that went off of other people's stick and that oh, yeah. really kind of really skew the finishing to being more of a luck stat. And I think that that's a, a good way I would define that finishing percentage <laughs> in the 71st percentile to more so be a luck, um, yes. luck percentile. And so the fact that, I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, if you had asked the ducks, they were hoping that he could be the second line center well, for this team well, this that's, year. That's part of the reason why you can't give him a high grade is because the expectation, the hope was that he would take a step. And he just did not. At he, all. he took the biggest step back, and I and and so I think that that is a that is a big big concern. Well, because and at, at age twenty three, it's like again, like this this is what he is. And I mean, yeah. here's the thing that's that is frustrating with Sam Steele from a, a maybe a development perspective. He could have used some time in the AHL this season. Mm, well, go back to the year before. I mean, yeah. he, he, it feels like they've really kind of just decided that he's an NHL player. And, and it's funny, though, because this year, I feel like this is the most you've ever heard him be criticized by Dallas Akins, right? Like, he did get scratched. Like, he didn't play for, like, a, almost two weeks at one point. And Dallas Akins talked about maybe them needing to adjust expectations of what he'll be. So, like, I don't think that they're blissfully unaware, but it just feels like they had a hand in getting to this point. Maybe I think yeah. last last year was the one to have him in the AHL. And I think that he is now for next season, not going to be this season. He was still waiver exempt. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that's going to be the case next season. And so th- if they wanted to send him down to the AHL, this would have been the year to do it. And they still didn't. And yeah. I think that that is somewhat frustrating seeing as they had no issue doing it with other players and they had no issue prior seasons doing it with calm doing it with Terry, scratching Terry, all these different things. And yet, uh, a Sam Steele, they, it, he was locked into well, the lineup for most of the season. Face-offs. Come on, you can't give that up. You can't give out that face-off winning percentage. That's key. That drives winning. 
God. Saying all of this in God. complete jest. I love that. By the way, I just love that evolving wild uh, tweet about face-offs. The, the <laughs> fact that, uh, the, that it just has all of the different games from the past, I don't know, what, 10, 15 years uh-huh. with all the goal differential and how none of it correlates at all to face-off percentage. It's just like a big bubble. <laughs> it's it's so good basically face-offs don't matter they don't actually correlate to being a good team they don't correlate to winning games winning the face-off battle does not mean you're going to win the game yeah like okay. yeah okay so we have a few more guys to get through i'm gonna go quick on this one anthony stolars i gave him a b i had very low expectations for him limited action posted, Incom- sol- posted solid numbers i just gave him a b incomplete okay fair enough where i'll go with it Okay, moving on here. This will be a fun one. This is going to be all positive. Troy Terry. I gave him an A-. minus. A. Straight A. Straight A. That's fine. So here's what I'll say. This is my case for Troy Terry. I have four bullet points. He built on what he was already really good at and then added an offensive play driving element, which he didn't have the year before. All of his main strengths, though, either remained intact or improved. He still He showed he still might have another level to hit as a point producer, and he and this is kind of nebulous, but he did lead the team in slot passes per game. So this is from Instat. So he was actually, despite like maybe his point production or his finishing not being there, he was still good at getting the puck into dangerous areas, which is not like a common strength on this team. So A minus. Um, I didn't want to give him an A because I compared him to like the guys who I gave him an A to, and I was a little uncomfortable but he was very good this year. He was Nin- he was he was awesome. 94th percentile for even strength defense. I'm giving him an A. That that's a a great job from him defensively and we started to see strides from him offensively also that, yeah. that really really helped the he, Ducks. He, and- he took a step forward and that's like that's the big key with these young and, players. And if you look at we've mentioned Corey Schneider's data of late and he is one of the best ducks in transition. He is one of the best ducks in transition. He's one of the best ducks in terms of shot attempts. He's uh, or chance contribution. So both uh, both individual shot uh, contribution along with shot assists. And so if you look at kind of that, him and Zegris are the two top guys for the ducks, and that really checks out. And they didn't play with each other for a lot of the season, and so that kind of really shows you how good he was, that he was essentially the top contributor for the Ducks in terms of contributions to chances for this Ducks team from an individual perspective and how much he drove the offense for this team. And on top of that, how good he is at defensively. And part of the reason he's good defensively is that he's good in transition and gets the puck into other team's zone and doesn't really come out. It doesn't come out that often. And so I, I think I need to give him an A. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I gave him an A-, minus, but A is totally fine. He was great. Like, it, it really... And I think my favorite part about him being this good and about like us giving him high grades is that Dallas Akins did not think he was good enough to be in the lineup in the beginning of the season. And like for him to go from that to Dallas Akins saying he's one of the most responsible players in the team is just quite the, quite the glow up for Troy yes. Terry. So there yes. you go. Now this will be less glowing. I apologize. Maybe we'll make it quick. Maybe you'll give him an incomplete. Who knows? Alexander Volkov. I gave him a D. My expectations were very minimal for this player. I thought he was just a fourth liner, and um, I had no expectations. But despite that, he wasn't completely awful, but just didn't really show much of anything. I mean, he had like maybe a couple good games against San Jose when he first got traded. But outside of that, the the, the numbers just weren't really impressive. He was actually kind of worse statistically with Anaheim than he was 
in Tampa Bay. Now, of course, you might say team effects, but he just didn't really add much positive value to this team and in, in offensively or defensively. And look, again, minimal expectations, but I just can't sit here and tell you that he even met my expectations. I thought he would come in and be like an upgrade on the fourth line, and he wasn't really that. Yeah, and uh, I'll jump into this one sec, but Defend the Nest brought up that uh, Cap Friendly uh, said that Steele is uh, waiver exempt still. Want to bring this up? Actually, the the thing is, it's uh, he has to uh, complete five seasons to become waiver eligible. This is the fifth season, so starting next year, he it does require waivers, and that's the big thing. Um, and so uh, on Volkov, um, I would, yeah, I think I'd give him a D. I think you were pretty spot on there with everything. I mean, he was a guy that really was gave a spot in, a, in an elevated role. I mean, they, they gifted him an opportunity and-, and he didn't do a whole lot with it. And it's basically kind of what we expected when, when I wrote my trade article about him, it was uh, basically, he's a guy that really is kind of a nothing player fourth liner for the Ducks. I mean, if, if he had been that, I would have given him a higher grade and he wasn't that he was a True. negative. So, yeah. Real quick. Um, um O dog's asking what about Milano and Silverberg seeing as you're driving this bus. I'm throwing that on. on to I you. actually, so for complete and, uh, c- complete transparency here, I didn't put Milano just cause I felt like that sample was just like crazy small. I actually forgot about Silverberg. We, we gonna, probably should do Silverberg. So I forgot about Silverberg, which is really embarrassing. I don't know why I forgot about him, but Damn. It's because of all that time I spent thinking about Alexander Volkov. It just really took yeah. away. I mean, just kind of like thinking about it here with Silverberg, given where he's at in his career, his game offensively took a huge nosedive this year, but he was yep. still very good defensively. And so to me, I would lean towards the B range. I, I think uh, I'm going to go. I, I think that that's a bit high. Okay. I mean, you gave Terry credit for being 94th percentile defensively. Silverberg was 86th percentile. Uh, 91st, actually. 91st percentile this past season. Yeah. But yeah. here, so, here, wait, 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 wait. But, but on Terry, it wasn't you're, just you're, defense. It was also the fact that... Your logic he, is inconsistent. He, he also, it was also, as I added, the, the shot contribution, the chance contribution, the transition game, uh-huh. everything along the, that, that, that really contributed to uh, offensively and everything like that for him. Silverberg, the issue is basically you're right. And the thing is, the numbers for Terry bear that out also with him being above average with driving offense. And uh-huh. Silverberg, not the case. Silverberg, fifth percentile in terms of even strength offense. 12, yeah, well, that's, that's 12 what percent, I said. Like 12th his... percentile in terms of penalty killing. And then if you're looking at play driving from an offensive perspective. How much, okay, let me ask you this. How much do you factor in the fact now that we know that he was playing with a bad hip. No, that, that, yeah, that definitely factors in. And the thing is that really plays a part because I mean, if you think about it, being good defensively doesn't always, uh, you don't, it's more so positioning base. I think sometimes, um, and being in the right play, being in the right spot, things like that. Whereas offensively, especially as the game, it becomes more of a transition type of game. Um, you start to see guys needing to be able to skate. And if your hip is screwed up, that's really going to set you back. And so I think that that's probably a potential reason for this, but I think evaluating him based on his season, I would give him a C. I, I think that that's pretty fair. I think at expectation, as he's aging, the fact that he is still solid, still very good defensively, but just doesn't didn't give the Ducks anything offensively to yeah. the point where it caused negative value. I mean, I'm I'm comfortable with like a B minus. That's fine. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I mean, no, no pluses not, and minuses. We're not hugely apart here. Um, Okay, and then Sonny Milano. I mean, Sonny Milano was great. I mean, was, I did look at his numbers, and he was great in the limited amount of time he played. But it's just that sample was so tiny that it was just like 
too too little to really draw a hard conclusion from. Okay, two more. I have two more here. Unless I'm forgetting people, which I'm kind of hoping I did now, just for the randomness element of this show. Trevor's egress. How do you grade Trevor's egress? I will just wait. How do we have two more? Well, there's Trevor's egress and Hampson Holm. Okay, so this wasn't done alphabetically then. Uh, well, no, Zegris is the last one. Lindholm, I, I forgot, and you told me when, before we started. And then <laughs> there, I we go, there we go, there we go, because I was confused. I was like, wait, we're on Zegris. How are there more? Okay, well, anyway, Zegris, I give him an A, actually. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, it. like, to be fair, this is a contextual A. Like, I don't, his A is not the same as another guy's A, but my expectation of him, I didn't think he was going to come in and be this impactful right away offensively. And especially once he shifted to center, then I was like, wow, there, this guy's another level. Still a lot of work to do in the defensive end, but these are the kind of details that you would expect with a rookie coming in. And so overall, like he surpassed my expectations in a huge yeah. way. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I would kind of almost want to overlook his time as a winger. And I know that's hard to do when yeah, we're doing a player grade because yeah. he wasn't. I, I think, I think he, that's being a little cherry picky. It is. It is. And I completely agree with that. But, you know, it's our podcast. It's my rules. I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, and okay. I, I mean, I'm I think, still giving him an A, by the way. Yeah. Like, I'm, I am factoring that in. I, I think that he was about to. He was put in a position to fail by being put on wing. The fact that he was treated with kid gloves, everything along those lines by, by the coaching staff when he was on the wing. And it really didn't put him in a position to succeed. And that, I think that's a big reason why production really didn't come from him when he was on the wing. Whereas once he came back up as a center, he just looked so much more confident, so much more comfortable. It was his natural position. And I mean, we could go on for days about the fact that they should have done that from the very beginning in terms of playing him as a yeah, center, but, 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 but he, he played, I mean, what he had six points in seven games as a center. He tore up the AHL. I think I, I, w- I am high on Zegers. I did not expect him as a center to come up and just look that comfortable and that confident in that position and make that stark of a difference offensively for this team. I mean, and so that impact is why I'm giving him an A. It, and is, if you look- it is interesting though, with him that we don't apply the LA Kings caveat because a lot of those, I mean, the games where he came up as a center were against the Kings. Yes, but he, it was also going up against Andre Kopitar at times and he still looks good. All, I think he looked good against the blues and he looked good well, against the wild. And also the Kings were not good this year, but they weren't like the sharks. Let's just say, you know, they weren't complete bottom feeders. Yeah. Um, and and I think I mean you look at still what he did against the Wild and the Blues he still created offense for the Ducks in those games I mean I mean his his numbers are a lot worse in those games but yeah but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but he still is generating offense still is good in transition I mean and, I'm giving I'm giving him an A yeah it's a it's a pretty pretty easy A for me because again my expectations were kind of minimal for him I didn't know what what the transition would be like because it's kind of a you know his path isn't it's not the kind of path that translates to immediate impact and he had that. So I'm just looking right now. So he had, let me, uh, only three of those final seven were against LA. And so there, so there you go. I mean, I'm saying even if some of them were against LA, it's not this huge yeah. like caveat. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. And for Lindholm, I give him an A tiny sample, but he was awesome. He, when was he did play. Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> he he, he was arguably the ducks best defenseman this season, despite the, uh, despite the lack of a sample. So yeah. And then guys that didn't make the list, I didn't put in Carter Rowney. Didn't play enough. Um, I didn't put in Ryan Miller because he retired. We don't really need to kind of look back. And also that grade. Yeah. W- would not well, have been yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're <laughs> you're really selling it short because we did do David Backus. Yeah, but like David Backus, I don't know. He felt he felt like more of a presence this season. I don't know. Um, and then didn't talk about Josh Mahura. 
I don't know. Do you want to give him a grade? I'm, I would give him a D D range. I don't think he was very good when he did play this season. Showed flashes, yeah. but wasn't that great. Yeah, I, I think that I'd probably agree with that. I'd say D or B, or not D or B, D or C in Vinny that range. Le, Vinny Letary, how could we forget Vinny Letary? Uh, him, him, you know, him and Andy Walensky with those elite one-timers. I think that for them, you're allowed to combine the, the two, combine all of their contributions to get to a grade. So I'll give them a C, just to be kind. Just, yeah. just to be kind. For their, yep. the, the elite shot and the elite one-timer, I'm giving what, them a C. What about Cody Coran? You know, I'll give him an A because yeah. he was a, he was a trooper. He he gave us the elite <laughs> uh, big booming shot meme. Yeah, and what about uh, Andrew Agazino or Chase DeLeo? You know they they got they got cameos. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean Simon Benoit, he was actually good defensively when he played. Didn't bring a lot offensively, but I'm not giving him a grade either. So yeah, there we go, folks. I think that's the entire report card. I, d- yeah. I, d- I should mention I did give Sam Carrick a grade, so maybe I'm a little inconsistent, but I will fall back on your excuse, which is it's our show. Should we, should we have given grades to guys that were traded away? Uh, Yanni Hockenpah? Yanni Hockenpah and Ben Hutton. Ben, ben Hutton. I mean, if you want to go off of expectation for Hockenpah, you might have to give him an A. You a? might, be, you might yeah. be forced to give him an A. Yeah. <laughs> Um, ben Hutton was just like nothing for this team. He was awful. So I'd be comfortable with an F there. Is that too harsh? Maybe. I Maybe. think so. he played with Larson. True. True. I mean, I thought he would come in and be decent and, and he like really was not like too expectation. So Christian anyway, juice, Christian juice, you know, I'm sure he looked great in training camp. I'm sure he lit it up in the scrimmages. So I'll give him an a just, what a- just for that. Oh, dog saying, what about the one game where Dostal played backup? You know, looked great on the bench. Wore that cap. His mask wearing was, you know, nice and snug. How oh, you... oh, wait, 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 wait. Here's the, what, if we're doing team grades. Mm-hmm. Dallas Akins? I was actually about to say that. Um, on the same wavelength right now, you know? Uh, good, pos- good podcasting. I would say below C. Like definitely below C. <laughs> he was not average. I can guarantee that. I mean, I'd, I'd go F. Do you give him some credit that some of the young players got better? Because I feel like if you watch this team this year, that... he also scratched Terry when he was playing fine. Well, that's the thing. I feel like the progress kind of happened despite the coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna go. I'm sorry. I'm going to F. I mean, there's just really nothing you can point to with Aikens. And like, we've talked about this previously, like they got worse in certain categories from last year. And like, I don't know if the, I mean, arguably the roster was better this year. Um, so, and like the power play continued to suck. I, there was all this mismanagement of the lines, this weird handling of Trevor egress. Like there's just, and I'm really trying to think of positives here. And again, I can't really think of any, so I'm going F. I'm sorry. That's harsh. Dallas Higgins seems like a nice person. Seems really uppity, positive. But, you know, I'm sure he'll manage this negativity fine. This yeah. F. I'm sure he'll wow. take it in stride. Bob Murray and in, in management overall. F. Yep. Big, big F. I mean. Big, big F. Huge missed opportunity at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, and you, you can even go back to last season, but missed opportunity there. There will be the people that will cry for the till the end of time that there was not enough, uh, the prices weren't right or whatever. 
We just have no way of knowing that. We just really don't. We, Here, we, here's the issue here, is that, like, the Ducks have screwed themselves over in the expansion draft. I mean, granted, they're not going to lose a good player, but, I mean, there was a much better way to optimize this they thing. Didn't, they didn't optimize it. I, I just... And and if you look at Bob Murray's moves this season, okay, so Volkov didn't really lead to anything, but they didn't give up anything for that. I mean, Antoine Moran and a late-round pick. And then Hayden Fleury, you know, turned out to be fine, and they they gave up a kind of a lottery ticket in, in Hawk and Paw to get him. But these are not, like, franchise-altering, needle-moving moves, so I'm not going to give him, like, a ton of credit for that. Um, and, and here's the issue here, is that the Ducks have still yet to make any sort of move where they are moving a guy off the roster who makes them better now to improve the long-term outlook of the franchise. Yep. And and it's kind of something you have to do when you're rebuilding, mm-hmm. which Dallas Sickens has said is a rebuild over the, and over and over. The team is now saying it's a rebuild. Show me what they've done that's actually rebuilding outside of just drafting high. Well, well look, what have they actually done they to traded, rebuild? They traded Nick Ritchie for Danton Heinen, and that has like that looks terrible now. Yeah, that looks terrible because Heinen has either been scratched or hasn't played well. So and Nick Ritchie is on the top power play for Boston. Yeah, yeah. Shocker! You and I were both uh, saying Nick Ritchie got undue crap from a lot of people and misevaluated by the team. I mean, he's Shocker. still his penalty taking habits are still awful. Yeah, but he's being player card. He, but he's being put in a much better situation. Like, granted, like some of it is obviously Boston's in a better spot, but he wasn't used on the power play like he is in Boston. He wasn't that the the front net presence. Like I was watching the the game yesterday for for them, and he's on that power play with with Pasternak, uh, Bergeron, Marchand, and all those guys. And Richie's the guy right in front of the net because if you look at a lot of uh, his numbers from the last couple of years, he had a really high expected goal total, and a lot of that is because he's getting chances in front of the net. And shocker, that has led to success when he's been put there on the power play. Yeah. So I think that's all I've got for everybody tonight. I think I, I've got nothing time. else. Oh, question we're doing time. questions. Okay, we're, doing, we're just doing some quick questions. Okay, quick questions. Whew. So for those, we gotta let people who have been stuck with us on Twitch get their voice heard. I, I actually, yeah, I'm sorry, didn't forget. Didn't forget. So for those of you yeah, watching on I YouTube, forgot, I forgot Silverberg. So yeah, watching on YouTube or listening to your favorite pod, podcast services, we do it on a uh, live stream at twitch.tv slash crash spawn every single week where you can come support your, uh, support us in a way that's completely free to you. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days, and uh, it does help out significantly. So DB Lowry 3507 says, uh, what's the goalie depth chart look like next season? I mean, it'll likely be Gibson with Stolars again and probably Dostal in the AHL. I mean, it's probably going to be very similar to this year. I don't know if there's going to be any changes there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Easy Way Colt asked, based on eye test slash stats in the last, uh, in let's say five years, um, what's the ceiling and what's the floor for Zegers and Drysdale in terms of power points per game, all-star level, comparable players, ETC? <laughs> wow, just throwing it all out there. Yeah. So, so I'll do Zegers. He'll do Drysdale. Oh, I wanted Zegers. <laughs> okay, I'll help you with Drysdale, but okay. I'll just I'll just say for Zegers, I think he can be like an 80, 70, 80 point player, and like maybe like a poor man's Patrick Kane. Like yeah. I think I don't know if I see him ever reaching like the hundred kind of crossing hundred point mark. No, but he could. He I think that you're spot on where he can be in the point per game, maybe slightly above point per game at the yeah. end of it all. I think the floor for him is is essentially maybe a. Uh, 
I, I think no matter what, I think the floor for him is just a first line center, a, a standard yeah. first line center, 60 points, 50 to 60 point player. Yeah. Uh, like like the, the floor, the floor for him is probably like an average first line center. Yeah. And so Jamie Drysdale tougher one. It, it's definitely tougher. And it's also because of his age. I think he showed flashes where, where he's, he I, can, I, I feel like this year, this, the games in the NHL may actually make it harder to evaluate him because it's like, how much do you trust them one way yeah, or another? I, I mean, coming into all of this, I thought his floor was essentially like a cam Fowler type of defenseman. I mean, right, I, from the right side. And I think that that's, he's, he seems like that's probably where he could end up with a little bit more of an offensive ceiling to him than, than cam Fowler has. Yeah, I would say the floor is like a second pairing, you know, a very good second pairing defenseman, kind of like a Cam Fowler in a way. And then the ceiling is an is an elite first line or sorry, an elite first pairing guy. Um, and I don't know if I ever see him really becoming the kind of point producing defenseman, because if you watch him play, the his value add is really the transition game. It's not so much when he's in the offensive zone. And yeah, he'll have flashes there, but I think he tops out as just like a very good uh, five on five defenseman, which is yeah. a, a great get. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think his ceiling is, is going to be a Norris caliber defenseman, but I think he he could maybe he, end he could end up in the top ten. He could be he, in the running a year or yeah. two. I mean, who knows? Yeah, but I I don't think he's going to be a guy that's consistently going to be they're going to be known as the top defenseman in the league. But I think he's I think he's definitely going to be a top ten D man in the league. Yeah, and like I mean, I don't think anything he did this season really um, took away from that projection. Like I think he's right on track. I think I think that if you're listening to what we're saying now and comparing it to what we're saying at the draft, it's probably very similar, maybe even a little bit more optimistic. So there yep. you go. Our good buddy John at Defend the Nest said, "Question: What team does the upset Cinderella run in the playoffs?" Um, should we really be asking you this? I mean, I am the only one, I guess, at the fourth period that picked the Canadians out of like Shocker. 10 people. Did, did they force you to add like Montreal Canadiens fan uh, <laughs> on uh, on your byline for that? It's actually hilarious because if you if you look at the picks, it's just this sea of, of uh, Leafs logos. And then it's just there's me with the little Habs logo and series MVP Gallagher. You know, you're going to get the fact that that's on a major website. You are going to get. Torched. I mean, I've had I've had people reply like, but I've actually had people come out saying they agree with me. So there you go. Really? You. Well, here's the thing: if they beat the Leafs, they're gonna beat whoever they play next. I really do think. They're All gonna... right. So Cinderella. I'm going to okay. I'm going, I'm going to go Panthers? mainly because of the division. Well, are the Panthers? Would that be considered a, a Cinderella run? Seeing as they're the second team in that division, they're the second seed. I think. I think just based on like the general perception of them. So I would go either the Panthers or mainly because of their division, the team that could make a run to the semifinals that would be a bit of an upset would be the Islanders. I actually disagree with that. I think the Islanders should beat the Penguins. I Yep, but like I said, they're the four seed. The Penguins are the one seed. So based yeah, upon that, yeah, based whatever. upon that, go, go. Okay. Abs. Sure. Disagree there. Leaves <laughs> are just going to wipe them. They're not. Although it's not the most. Yeah, the the Avs the Avs Blues is actually the most lopsided. Well, did, did you, you hear? Look, did you look at Dom's uh, preview? Uh, I didn't actually read it. I was just going to bring up Ryan O'Reilly's comment. What was his comment? He said they're going to win. That they're going to beat the Avalanche. So you and I both love looking at numbers, love looking at stats, everything like that. Uh huh. 
And so Dom Luchigian, Luchigian, or however you pronounce it, does a great job over the athletic, um, putting uh, essentially percentages to what the percentage chance uh, of a team winning a series is. Uh-huh. And I feel like its standard is is in the 60 to 60, yeah. 40. Yeah, maybe. the abs are at 88%. Yes, exactly. 88, 88% chance to win the series. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen anything in the 80s, let yes. alone 88%. So on the fourth period, this is the funny thing. I got the flack for picking the Habs, but a couple of people picked the Blues to beat the Avalanche. Which... No, no one did. I'm looking at it right now. Or no, sorry. I, I took someone saying Blues or Abs in seven is picking the Blues. I guess that was how it registered in my brain. But yeah. Calling out your boss. Yeah, I guess I am. Let's just skip. Let's just skip this topic. Although I'm sure no one's. <laughs> now no now one's I'm looking. Listening. Now I'm looking at all of your picks and, uh, <laughs> you know, your your Panthers pick or your lightning pick. That's actually looking OK. But, you know, going against the wild. Wow. Come yeah, I mean, you. I mean, yeah, I don't feel awesome about that one, but I think Vegas is. I mean, someone picked the Jets to beat the the Oilers. Yeah, that's is, that's a yeah no. That's no, no, just no. wild. No, to no, me. no, 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 no. That is wild. I mean, it's funny because I I felt like a bit of a contrarian picking the Bruins, and it turns out like I guess a lot of people are shorting the Capitals, who did win Game One, by the way. Um, no one picking against the pre- or the the Hurricanes. So, anyway, yeah, this is my favorite time of year picking series. Okay predictions Let, let's get back to these questions fired carlos said question who do you think replaces dave mcnab no clue please god don't let it be um dave nonis though randy carlisle please gets... don't let it be D- dave nonis uh m young said will you guys be watching the world championships with two of our potential first round picks playing in it with power and veneers um i'll try to catch some games i mean i don't where i don't even know where it is this year let's see Double IHF World Championship. Uh, while you're doing that, red or black, Lewis is going to Vegas tomorrow. Huh? Should he put money on red or black? Uh, black. Roulette. There you yeah. go. Uh, um, it's in Switzerland. No, not Switzerland. Damn it. All right. I'll, I'll keep Dal- searching. Dalton Keyes <laughs> is asking, who is Egress's biggest competition for the Calder next year? Ooh, that is he, a great he, question. He is Calder eligible. Probably Quentin Byfield. So this year, by the way, it's Frisco, Texas. We could No, go. That, that was the so U18. That's the U18. That's the U18. I'm just never going to find this. Sorry, guys. I I quit. I'll try to watch games, though, once I figure out where it is, what the timing is. (laughs) I'll find it right now because, you know, I am much better at doing this than you. Yeah, Um, clearly. uh, Yakubian said, when do the Ducks have an actual shot at the playoffs again? It's in uh, Belarus and Latvia. Oh, yeah. So that time reference can be gnarly. Um, I mean, if you're being optimistic, you might be inclined to say next year. If If you're drinking whatever... If you're sharing uh, David McNabb's Diet Coke, which he's famous for, you might say next year. And you might not be completely crazy, but for me, the likeliest scenario is a couple of years from now. Three years. Well, I mean, we're talking getting back to the playoffs, like just competing for a playoff Two, two to three years. Yeah, I'm saying um, two years. Uh, so let's see. Ducks Go said, with $50 million coming available in 2022, should the Ducks get Tyson Berry as a linemate for Drysdale? No. Also, if not, no. no. No, 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 Tyson no, no. Berry's way overrated. So I'm now showing his player card on the screen. Uh, no, you, He's you, big the, bad. the his defense is in the zeroth percentile. Zeroth, zero, zero percent. That's zero-th? how bad zeroth. He is god awful defensively. He's going to get paid. And the thing that a lot of people forget when you're looking at the available money, the Ducks have to re-sign their own guys. Yeah, like, I, like that's what happened with this coming off season. Is people like, were like, they, oh. they have they have so much space. Like, granted, I think they're going to have more space than I projected, mainly because I think there was something weird with the way Cap Friendly was listing it. 
Jake but, being wrong about cap numbers. Yeah, some this, is, this has it, never happened. It happens. So, <laughs> but there, it looks like they're going to have seven to nine mil in cap space. So it's not exactly like they have this like huge amount to work with. No, they'll have some flexibility, but they're probably better off either sitting on it or maybe trying to eat some some bad salary to get picks, like right. you brought up earlier. Chris Kindred said, maybe an unrealistic situation, but if Kevin Adams called and said he's only willing to trade Jack Eichel, if Jeff Skinner is included, what would you give up, and would Skinner's contract almost negate Eichel's value? No, I, I mean, I feel like Jeff Skinner is like being... The way that they talked about him and, and treated him this year in Buffalo, I feel like maybe they were... It's almost kind of like the Raquel narrative in Anaheim a little bit. Lack of finishing, but I... I said this in our Patreon show, and I'll just repeat it here. If I'm the Ducks, I'm just kind of out on the Eichel situation as a whole. Yep. Because Same. because the cost of bringing him is pretty much, it's either Drysdale or Zegris, and then you know a pick, maybe Contois, and I just think that that would set the Ducks back. Like they've made it this far in the rebuild, they they have like a little accumulation of of talent, and to just kind of nuke that to go and get Jack Eichel, you're basically you're not really bringing him into, into a situation where you can go and win because you've, you've caved out all the depth. So I would just stay out of it completely. Yep. Completely if the, agreed. If the, like if I were the Kings, you know, or if you're a team that's closer, hundred percent, you're thinking about it, but for the ducks, I just think that they're too far off to really kind of make that jump. Yeah. And, uh, ducks goes asking how the ducks would spend that money. They're going to spend it on, uh, on Zegers and Drysdale. They're going to have to give them more contracts. They're going to have to spend it on whoever, like all these guys are going to need to get paid. Colbertal is going to need another contract at some point. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Dalton keys asks, I've chimed in. Let's end with this very quick, very easy question. Let's end with this one. Dalton keys asks, will Zegers ever wear the C in Anaheim? Uh, who I'll do you, go- or let's just go. Who, who's the next captain? <laughs> Ryan Getzloff. Out once Getzloff's out, once he retires. Oh, why are you doing this to me? Because I like torturing you. I think Zegris will be. Um, I, I I don't think it's going to be Fowler. I long thought it would be Fowler. I think he Fowler's too old now. Well, yeah, I just think it's going to be someone from that next wave. I mean, it could be Zegris, could be Drysdale, could be Contois, could be Terry, could be any one of those guys. But I think. Um, you know, when you have a, a first line center who's the big time point producer, it's just pretty rare for those guys not to end up being captains. So I'm going to go with him. Here's my question to you. And I think we may have been asked this in a previous show or I saw this on Twitter. Uh, is Zegris wearing 46 next year? No. How many how many number changes are we seeing next year? Comtois changes, Terry tra- changes, Zegris changes, Steel Steel already changed, you, you, so he's not. You think Terry ditches 61? Yeah, he goes to 19. He could have done it this year, though. I doubt that they would have let him. He was a he was a, a scratch. He was in. He, he was a guy that was sent to the AHL last year. That's true. So Terry nineteen, Contois forty four, uh, Zegers thirteen, thirteen, Zegers thirteen or eleven. <laughs> My favorite thing we've ever done on this show is try to figure out. Wasn't when... that on a watch along? No, it was on a regular show. I'm pretty sure. I think it was a watch along. I think we did the number. No, no, no. no. What was on the watch along was Archgate. Yeah, yeah. Well, Drysdale does he does he switch as well? Does he go to six? I mean, is, he it, he Drysdale is locked into the NHL. There's no way they send he, him back to junior I mean, next year. Looking at how he played this year, though, do they send him back? Yeah, there's no way they're sending him back to junior. He didn't play that well this year, though. Does That's he benefit point. from going back to junior? I don't think so. I wouldn't do it. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, because he he asking. can't play in the AHL next year. Yeah, yeah. 
they've kind of, I don't know. It's funny how like they were so, you know, talking about not wanting to rush these guys and not having another Cam Fowler and, situation. And now, now and, they're... Uh... And that, that's kind of where they are now with Jamie Drysdale. Oh, yeah. Now I remember. It was on the episode that someone had looked up a tweet from Zegris where he was wearing like 15... When he was 15 wearing 11. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, that's the funny thing with the Drysdale, though, is now they're kind of pigeonholed and like no more flexibility. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll see. This has been a pretty big episode. We're like above two hours now. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, just, there, you fun, know, though. there's not going to be a lot of episodes or a lot of uh, games for uh, Ducks fans to watch. So we're giving you all the content. Yeah. Th- this is your Ducks content. <laughs> yeah. I'm just mad. I forgot Silverberg. That's really going to sting for a while. But good catch, though. I'm glad we were able to talk about him. Yeah. 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 Because, uh, I mean, we'll see it. You know, let's just say is Silverberg a duck next year? I think so. I mean, I can't imagine his trade value being very high. Yeah. There's, there's it, are Raquel are, okay? Is Raquel back next year? Ooh, <laughs> you're struggling with this. Yes, you want to say yes. I no, I want to say no. Well, I mean, okay. What about Manson? Because I've heard that. Where did I hear this? Someone said something or I read somewhere that some that there will be changes this summer that the ducks are going to do something how many times have we heard that i don't know it's just what do you want to believe in what do you want to choose to believe in suspend disbelief how many times have we heard that though <laughs> and how many times are we going to keep believing it i mean how many times are we going to believe that yes if gibson is plays at vezina level that kids all get better and that veterans stay healthy that this team will be good because yeah. that's been the that's been the bill for like two years <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I yeah, I don't have faith. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't no. have faith. You should just put that on your uh, put that on your license plate. Put your that on my theme. put that on my Twitter bio. <laughs> I don't have faith. <laughs> Fire Carlo asked a asked a point. When does Bob Murray have his exit interview? I don't know. I don't know. Who, you who, would have expected that to happen last week. Well, to your point, did we talk about this while we were recording? I think we did. It's been two hours now so i don't everything's blending together the, the 31 thoughts yeah yeah so yes yes we did talk about that while recording well if uh, if that's all to be believed if you're gonna interpret that a certain way then maybe change is coming maybe it's finally happening <laughs> as jake just kind of looks around skeptically just not saying anything <laughs> blinking away <laughs> yeah you're like that gif with the guy just kind of blinking yeah, it, yeah, I'm either I'm either that or I'm like the the dog in the burning house saying this is fine. <laughs> I don't think you're saying this is fine. I think you've no, been you've been that, sorry that that that's Bob Murray. Yeah, not yeah, Bob, me. yeah. Uh, I mean, I still think the likeliest scenario is one more year of this. DB Lowry says, "Who are you guys pulling for in the playoffs?" And you can't say Montreal. Someone else. Ah, uh, well, okay, that's a good one. Hmm, I found myself. Today, it's funny, watching that Lightning Panthers game, I was kind of rooting for both. Like, it was just so much fun. I And, you know, I picked the Lightning in that series, but seeing the Panthers win would be fun. So maybe one of those teams. I still love watching that. Like, I said this on Twitter, like, that there are a few things I love more in this sport right now than just watching the Lightning power play. If that's what we're going to get for, like, the next two months, I would be fine with that, just watching I'm, that team. I'm going to go with... I'm gonna go with Toronto. Oh, what? The you main 
have you re- have you read these articles about you know like that the athletic does where it's like one scout one executive one coach i try and, to and then i'm just like yeah, i don't care there's so much skepticism though about the leafs yeah and that's also why is like the leafs yeah. have been that, and that's why i'm pulling for them is the fact that the leafs have been built in my opinion the right way well that's the, the that, that's the funny thing though is that like as much as you know they are the rival team to the team I cheer for. If they make it out, I'll actually kind of root for them. I think too. Just they, they've done the things the right saying. way. They've done things the right and, way, and, and I, I want to see. And I want to see someone who's put put together a team in a good way actually get rewarded for that. And so that's why I'm pulling for them. I'd pull for Carolina for similar type of situations. Yeah, yeah, and like I think with the Leafs, also just to see those naysayers kind of get shut down would be pretty great. Um, no, no love for Winnipeg or, or Edmonton. you know me do i really have to say anything about winnipeg here's a here's a thought that randomly popped into my head today um matt duchene has been awful in nashville and that remember that contract remember when they signed that contract remember the the trade that joe sackick just like (laughs) that trade is amazing yeah yeah so I guess my answer is a bunch of teams. <laughs> but that's the, I, I, that, well, that's the, that, okay, that's the let, let's the do this. That's let's the do this. Playoffs. I, I can okay. I can cherry pick. <laughs> we're we're now at two minutes, two hours and eleven minutes. So let's just kind of whatever. Yeah, who cares at this point? Let's just real quick. Team that you're pulling from from each division. So out not the north is obviously Montreal for you. So yeah, who, who do you have in the east? Who are you pulling for? Hold on, let me let me pull up the list here. I want to give... not not who you're picking, who you're rooting for. Who I'm rooting for in the East? You okay. can say no one. Also, this that is, is a vi- viable or uh, a viable answer. This is going to be slightly controversial, but man, this is actually very controversial because I'm a Habs fan. But I kind of want to see Boston beat Washington because I'm kind of tired oh, of the Washington okay. narratives. And then the Central. Uh, in the Central, I mean, I think it's Tampa Bay front runner. No, pick. no, no. I'm not talking about who you, who you think is going to win. Who you're rooting for. Who you're no, I'm for. rooting for Tampa Bay. I like that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and, and then the West. In the West, I mean, I want to see Colorado succeed. Yep. So. so I have in the North, I'm pulling for Toronto. The East, I don't really care. I don't really like any of those teams. So nobody. The South, I'm or the cent, not the South. You're the not. Cent. You're not rooting for Kyle Palmieri. Two I mean, goals good on today. Him, but I also am like whatever on the Islanders. Um, by the way, still the worst trade, one of the worst trades the Ducks have ever made. And I yes. dug up, I dug up the the quote from Bob Murray uh, today and put it in our Discord of him saying, "I trade him because uh, he's uh, he could score twenty goals this year, and we can't afford him." Let me just remind everyone: he was an RFA, and they yeah. like when that quote are going to be an RFA. <laughs> oh, so bad. And then I have the Panthers in the Central. Um, you know, 93 expansion draft, 90, 93 expansion. They're and fun. in the West, it's between Minnesota and Colorado for me. And they go go Colorado just because they play such a fun style of hockey. Yeah. And I've kind of cooled off on my Minnesota, like optimism a little bit. Oh, I think they win that series. I kind of hope they do. I don't think they do. I didn't pick them, but I, I kind of hope that they do just because I am a little tired of the Vegas act. Yep. It's, I, it's, it's getting to that point. Give, give me dollar dollar, uh, Kirill y'all. <laughs> that's a name that's a nickname for him haven't have you not seen the shirts i have not seen these look shirts. up the shirts doll let me let me find it i'm, I'm gonna find it for everyone real quick dollar dollar bill Kirill. <laughs> that's so bad let me see it was because like um it's a nickname that matt D- or that uh matt dumba gave him so here it is on the on the screen dollar dollar bill Kirill. 
that's and it's funny. his face with uh, Ray-Ban sunglasses with dollar signs in them. That's funny. I mean, he's he's really helped their team, of course. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I think that's probably going to do it for us tonight, folks. This is, by the way, this is your first podcast in a new chair. Yes. You do not want to let this thing end, do you? Titan. No, I'm just pointing it out. You're Secret, in a new chair. Secret Labs. Yes. Actually paid up for a chair so it doesn't make noises on the podcast. Is that is that really why? Uh, part of the reason. It's also very comfy. Yeah, I need to get me one of those. Okay. You should. Well, anyway, if you are still listening, congratulations. You win the prize. I don't know what the prize is, but you win. Congratulations again. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, if you enjoyed what we do, uh, there's a few ways to support us. Uh, the biggest one, and we referenced it a few times today, is our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. Three different levels there of membership for a dollar a month. You get access to our Discord chat, which is a lot of fun. It's really taken on a life of its own. It's really fun in the playoffs, too. You get to chat with other diehard Ducks fans. Uh, we sometimes just shoot the breeze about anything. We also have channels just for hockey. That's for $1 a month. For $5, you get access to two bonus episodes, as well as that Discord chat, where you can also throw in suggestions for episodes, and we will discuss them. And on those bonus episodes, we go more in-depth on the Ducks, if that's even possible, bigger topics that we can spend more time on there. And we also go league-wide. So on the last one that we did, we did our predictions, series predictions. So you could still go back and listen to that. It's not too dated if you're if you're still on the fence about joining. And then for $15 a month, we do two watch-alongs. So during the summer, we might do like retro games. We did that when the pandemic started, uh, you know, previous watch-alongs. But during the season... We'll do like an alternative broadcast for you for two Ducks games a month. And by the way, anyone who's subbed at that tier um, in Discord, just throw in what game, what series you want us to do. I already have a thought in my head for us to do a Panthers lightning game. And maybe we discuss doing that even this week. And so let's take a look at this. Felix and I will look at the schedule, throw some messages in there, see see when that's going to work and try to get that in this week for you guys. The tough thing for us for that series is the Eastern start time. Yeah. Yeah, yep, yep, but yep. yeah, but so yeah, for the Stanley Cup playoffs, though, we will be doing watch alongs of playoff games. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, a few other ways you can support us, though. Um, you know, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review there. Those go a very long way. They are very much appreciated. And we will we will read them on the show uh, once we get a new one. I don't think we have any new ones to read today. Um, also, make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify. If you're not on Apple, check out our YouTube channel. Yes, we are on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. You get to see the video version of this show. So you get to see the Twitch stream, you get to see all the fancy graphs that Jake puts up. So it's it's nice. It's different. You get to see Salem the Black Cat. You get to see Jake's uh, all the effort he puts into his decor and to his apparel. Today, I didn't put show. in that much effort. You just put tank, in zero effort. Just a so. tank top. I mean, so my I- hair's done today, though, not a hat. After all the crap you gave me the last few weeks. I mean, you, my tank top is still way more bright than whatever you're wearing. So I'm wearing know. a gray t-shirt. Yeah. yeah, I'm wearing a bright red USC tank top. So, <laughs> Okay, that's at YouTube.com. That, that, that has like a weird like cheetah print on it. I don't know. It's weird. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's solid. It's a good one. It's yeah. a good, good, good shirt. Um, anyway, that's... I'm losing it here. YouTube.com slash crash the pond. Check out our website, crash the pond.com. Jake is going to put up a cool expansion draft article there. Make sure to check that out. Um, and find us on Twitter. Jake is on Twitter at reindeer games, 91 and uh, I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sukar. Apple podcasts. I, I brought that up. We have a new review. 
Oh, we do. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Oh I got god. it. So okay, this this is it. actually an update to an old one, but this is from uh he had an update. This is from Will JL uh from the UK. Uh came in. He actually had messaged me about it last week, so I was waiting for it to come in. Uh from May 8th. Great podcast, five stars has great podcast. Jake Felix and CJ do an awesome job. For a guy in the UK, it's hard for me to watch more than just highlights. The guys here doing a fantastic job to really flesh out what's happening, provide useful context. Great podcast, really fun. Keep the work, good work. And then update post-2021 season to this. Uh, in an otherwise bleak season, these guys really were my duck highlight. The guys bring a lot of fun, but the best thing is the balance. It allows Jake's to voice frustration of the entire fan base while Felix can bring it back to an even keel. It's clear the guys take great pride in what they do, and the product is clean, fun, and informed. Incredible work. Oh, thank you. I didn't know you could update reviews. I didn't know that either, but he's mentioned to me that he updated, so I've been waiting waiting for it to come in. So thank you so much for that. And I think that last line is, is pretty spot on for what we do. I think we, we do take great pride in, in a lot of things, from the video element to our audio quality. You and I definitely take take pride in. And to, to make sure that we're informed on kind of all of information, we provide a lot of different uh, useful context to everyone that they really can't find anywhere else. Yeah, and um, you know, Jake certainly voices frustrations this year. No, no debating that. I just want to know, Will JL, let us know what if you do if you are a soccer fan, English Premier League. I don't know. Are you maybe maybe it's because you're a Tottenham fan, you know, and you're you're drawing in the people. Who knows? Who knows? No comment from you. I don't know. I I rare. I would need to go back to my DMs with him. Him and I have DM'd a couple times, and so okay. I don't know if we've ever if we've ever talked footy. Okay, well, let's let's make that happen. Okay, well, that will do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you for listening. If you got through all this, like I said, you win the gold star, and we will talk to you at the next episode. Have a good week. Enjoy the playoffs. Yep, bye.